listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hikera. And this is episode 91 of the podcast, and also the very special Christmas episode, I guess you could say. <laughs> What's well, coming out on Christmas? But uh, <clears throat> the episode itself is uh, the return of Brother Constantine Tuonovi from Finland. Uh, founder, one of the co-founders of the Tuonen Porti Collective, as well as the main man behind the podcast, Mycelium Signal. So yes, he makes his third return to the podcast, and we continue our conversation. Um, this one, I believe we get more into stuff like Consensus Reality, the Negretto, and uh, other things. And of course, this will not be the last time. I believe uh, we're going to try to do one where I go on mycelium and uh, as well, and we'll obviously have a, another part. We kind of close off with uh, things left to be said, so you, so to say. So, yeah. So, uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode. It's always a pleasure talking with Constantine and uh, very illuminating and inspiring, uh, very esoteric conversations all about, um, you know, all about. Uh, I don't know, hidden things, you could say, you know, these ep- these episodes with him are very inspired conversations in which I believe the, uh, the daemon helps um, transmit itself through us, if, if you know what I mean. So yeah, so uh, this episode will be the Christmas episode, um, and then I have a another episode coming out on Wednesday, obviously, or Thursday, and then... Uh, Christmas, and then we'll have the New Year's Eve episode, which will be End of Days, another horror hotel New Year's Eve special. So, because uh, that's one of the movies that uh, I really like to watch around this time of year for New Year's Eve. Um, so, yeah, so I'll get into the plugs and then we'll get right into the episode. I'm part of a gang of podcasters called the Horsemen of the Podcast Apocalypse. Which is, of course, every other two, every other Monday you have Horror Wolf Six 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 with Brandon Legion. Every Tuesday you have Into the Necrosphere with Jackie Schmidt. Every Wednesday you have Everything Went Black with Mike Hill. And of course, Mike and I have our our co- cooperative series uh, that we spread between Solnox and Dark and Everything Went Black called Darkness Weaves, all about the work of Carl Edward Wagner. Every Thursday, you have Necromaniacs with Mike Hill, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. Every Friday, you have Spitball Media. And uh, and uh, intermediate times, when he has an episode to put out, we have Iblis Manifestations from Cheyenne of Trivax. So yeah, please uh, spread the word, uh, spread the cult, so to say, and, uh, you know... Uh, we really appreciate all the support and whenever anybody shares and spreads the word it's really appreciated and you can follow me on instagram at either my name or at denver underground radio and which is the online radio station i run uh, we have shows live every tuesday and thursday night starting at 9 p.m mountain standard time 11 eastern standard time and you can tune in at denverundergroundradio.com and if you follow us on Instagram, you can see all the playlists for all the shows, as well as links to the Spotify playlist for all the shows, and all the stuff about the podcast as well. So one-stop shop there. And finally, I have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. For $2 a month, you get two to four bonus episodes a month, and, uh, and, um... 
yeah and uh my thanks for supporting you know really appreciate every single person who's on there and anybody who joins will get a shout out right here on the main feed um it's been a little quiet this month for december but that's gonna change in january and i have an idea for a for a solo episode i'm gonna put out here soon uh on the patreon so uh yeah keep your eyes open check the space yes and i appreciate anybody who signs up all right so uh um let's go ahead and get into the episode um and uh yes yeah, so Constantine Tuonohovi from Mycelium Signal which of course is the another associated podcast which you need to check out um I always shout him out every week and so yeah check out his podcast and uh hope you guys enjoy this conversation Hail Satan
All right, well, welcome back, Constantine. Uh, part three of our conversation. <laughs> Thank you, and uh, good evening from Finland. Yep, Finland. You're calling it it's the evening there in Finland, and I just woke up here, so. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, 9 p.m. here at the moment, and it's completely dark outside because it's uh, late autumn over here. Yeah, uh, how, do, how, how early does it get dark this time of year? Um, I think around uh, 6 or 7 p.m. Okay, so it's about the same here, yeah. Yeah. But, but of course, you guys get <laughs> much more dark as it goes on, because here it gets dark. I think the, the, the latest it gets dark at is like, <sighs> I think, um, you know, during winter, it'll get dark 4.30 or 5, you know. But you guys have like times where it is all dark, right? Yeah, I think uh, during the winter we only get some uh, three to four hours of uh, somewhat um, light during the day, and in the um, northern part of Finland, the Lapland, they have this Kamos uh, season, which is completely dark for some like uh, three three months, I would even say. So it's complete darkness all the way. So that's that's quite exotic. Yeah, if, if you gonna, like darkness. <laughs> yeah, I'd be kind of be interested. I mean, I, I feel like it might throw you off a little bit, but um, at the same time, like I'm most inspired during the winter, like when it's dark earlier. Like, um, so I, like I, for example, for my painting, I find it basically impossible to paint when it when it, there's sun out. You know? Yeah. But, um, like like yeah, like I'm not gonna. I don't paint during the day, and um. And so during during the summer, I don't do very much painting because, you know, it doesn't get dark until nine, you know, or almost 10. So you're like, by the time it gets dark, it's about time to go to bed. You know what I mean? Like, uh, or, you know, I just don't have time really. But during, so during the winter, it gets getting dark at like five. I have plenty of time to paint and I get real inspired and do mo I do most of my painting in the months between basically October and maybe like April. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think... Um... Darkness is inherently liminal in the sense that <laughs> if there is too much uh, daylight, uh, it kind of blocks your creativity, I would say. At least that's for me and apparently for you too. <laughs> yeah, like, and even here in Colorado, the the weather sometimes kind of can block my creativity because we'll get these, you know, weeks and weeks of just like straight sun with no clouds, you know what I mean? Like, and uh, I just find that that kind of weather even very un uninspiring, you know, like I'm not inspired by the sunlight and, and that kind of stuff at all. Like I find the darkness and the shadows like the thing that's inspiring, you know. Yeah, I think th they provide some kind of contrast and challenge in the sense that uh, I think some Finnish uh, older poet said something like, that uh, it's too easy during the summers. People are like lightheaded and uh, at worst they act like a brainless cattle you know and uh, i think uh, it's directly that um, that you can somehow illustrate the darkness and uh, of course it it ha has something to do with the melatonin in the brain and that kind of stuff the so-called uh, non-rational part of the brain uh, i think it was the right part of the brain uh, kind of activates and uh, of course my, myself uh, I am more uh, creative during the uh, dark hours of the day as many artists are yeah and yeah and for me the, the days when it's kind of cloudy and 
you know, you know, whatever, rainy or snowing or whatever. I find those days much more inspiring as well than than some bright sunny day, you know. Yeah, that's that's really something I have I have learned this, uh, or at least I have known this uh, my whole life. And uh, you kind of uh, delivered a nice leeway to something I was I was supposed to talk uh, later on, but uh, this is just uh, too good of a moment to pass on. So so I've written written this kind of uh, text uh, beforehand, and uh, I actually released that during uh, through our collective. That's uh, based on the original thought of our mutual friend Richard Gavin's, uh, I think, Benighted Path book. And uh, it talks about that there's two kinds of darkness. So I can just uh, read this verbatim. So in the tapestry of night, uh, two divergent realms emerge, the urban darkness and orderly sterile space manufactured by the exigencies of modern life and the liminal darkness, a fraught abyss redolent with latent dangers and unspoken possibilities, while the former exists as a predictable byproduct of modernity, navigable through advancements in technology and civic design, the latter stands as a liminal threshold, inviting profound introspection and confrontation with the archaic fears that reside in the human psyche. These are not mere graduations of darkness, but rather distinct domains, each with its own existential resonance, illuminating varied facets of the human psychology, cultural ethos, and perhaps even the mystical unknown. What do you make of this? Yeah, I think uh, I can agree with that. The I think that the... Uh, the darkness is is that a kind of place and i think that when we connect with with the kind of archaic for part of ourselves it's usually just in that darkness and you can see that even in the middle of a city you know when you have uh let's say you're walking down the street you know middle of the night you know and you're going between the light and the shadows of the of the uh street lights right Yes. But you're plunged right back into this like archaic state of survival in a, in one way. You know, I remember when I used to have to do that walking to work when I lived downtown. Walking to work at four in the morning, whatever, and uh, you know, you're kind of plunged back to the law of the jungle, you know, it's kind of archaic part of yourself where you have to really be connected to the world around you and sense danger and that kind of stuff. So I think being in the state of darkness really does bring this type of thing to us. And I think that our attempts to kind of the modern attempt to shine the light and uh, disperse all all of this, I think, is very much in vain because no matter how much light they put up, it's never going to get rid of the dark. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, eventually, uh, I think the darkness prevails, even if that sounds somewhat of a glitter. But uh, I I think. Uh, there's the problem of the constant light pollution. I think we, we might have touched that in our previous discussion. But anyway, I think uh, it it really does something bad to the human psyche that you don't normal people don't get that kind of uh, liminal, uh, how would you say, shock to the system in the sense that uh, uh, it's rural darkness. That's that's a different beast in the sense that uh, say. 
that if you would live okay i i give you like a very mundane comparison uh if you are in some city apartment and uh, you have to go to the bathroom at night there is absolutely no danger i would say that if you would live in the some kind of uh, remote area of uh, some rural place and you would have some kind of outhouse then that would be a completely different thing because there would be in a in theory some kind of uh, um you know dangers at least there was more dangers like uh, say 100 or 200 years ago yeah so that wouldn't be just a like um it it wouldn't have been something that one would do without any hesitation you know yeah i mean you got to think about um yeah human culture in the past and and when the, we lived in these type of uh either you know like um it's kind of houses in the middle of the woods or maybe these like little communities in the middle of the woods or you know like and darkness was the natural state of things you know and yes there's no such thing as really light pollution uh really i mean Probably, you know, the big city, they put off a little bit enough light, but you probably still saw plenty of stars, you know, even in a place like London in the 1800s. I'm sure you did, you know, although there's probably enough pollution that it blocked some of the, some of the stars. But, uh, but you know, gaslighting probably isn't quite as bright as the electric light of today, right? But, um, yes. Um, but even, even further back or kind of concurrently with that in, in the rural areas, I mean, they are living in a, an ocean of darkness, you know, and, and there's really very little light. Um, you have like a, you know, a room of like, maybe you have to light one candle to take with you to go to the bathroom. Even if you have a bathroom in your own house, you know, like it's still going to be a kind of uh hazardous uh, journey because, um, because it's completely dark, you know, kind of a catabasis <laughs> in the sense that uh, even if one would go to your own outhouse or something, you know well that's why i think that you know sauna and the outhouse and in a lot of code i know like in finnish culture those things were seen as kind of liminal places you know yes like, in the sense that uh, you are not uh, going to spend a whole day there you are like uh, passing by you know yeah for example uh, the airplane is a liminal place yeah and i know that so, that particularly like the sauna was seen as like a liminal place like this kind of you know, you know, they have like babies born and in there and like um, all types of like magical ritual almost in the sauna. And I think we talked about that last time, but it's yeah, like, I think so. Yes. But I believe the same thing with was often thought of even like where where the outhouse was in these places. I mean, these, these places were kind of liminal spots because they weren't in the house. Right. You had to walk across the yard and, you know, there's like, yeah wild animals and all kinds of stuff out there and and also i feel like when you look at ancient cultures be, be even back to you know african cultures and in uh in, in the jungle or you know native american cultures and things like this like there's kind of a feeling of like you know that that's the out 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 there you know i mean in 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 um in um Nordic culture is called the Utgard, you know, like everything that's outside of the guard, you know, the, of the, 
of the, the homestead, you know, or of yes. the, the the community. So it's the outguard, it's the utgard, you know, it's like this type of, uh, and that's where all these other things lie. All these all these other supernatural creatures out there in the utgard, you know what I mean? So yes, I I think uh, my friend uh, Matti Rautanemi, who is a scholar scholar of religion. Uh, just said uh, a while ago that the Finnish word for the holy or the sacred is pyhä, pyhä, and uh, it's closely related to the word piha, which actually means a yard, and the guard is a kind of a yard or like like, like the homestead, you know? Yeah, exactly. I like can, yeah. yeah, I know in like the Nordic um, stuff, the guard is like, yeah, the homestead is the, the hearth, is the holy enclosure. And uh, and what is set aside? So you know, like, um, so the stuff that's outside of that is 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 uh, dangerous or is uh, you know seen with seen with um, suspicion. Unless you are a kind of particular kind of person, you know, unless you're, you're you know, Thor who's going out to go fight with the these 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 Utgard creatures, or if you're Odin who's going to go and find wisdom with them and. And engage with the catabasis of of the out, outside. You know what I mean? Yes, the liminal space. And uh, for example, my um, former guest, uh, the most prominent Finnish horror author Marco Hautala, in um, my podcast Museum Signal, he said that uh, in the past the dogs reside. I mean, in the distant past, the dogs resided in the liminal space, which was like. Uh, between the humans and between the even more liminal like uh, wilderness you know so the dogs were kind of a liminal creatures i, yeah. I think in the in the sense that the, the the dogs were tamed from wolves back in the day oh it you makes know, sense if you, if you if you think about the idea of uh, the homestead and then the the guard and so you have the homestead but then you have this the yard, which is like between the house and the the outer wall of the garth is a liminal space. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's like the yard of of a house, which is where your your sauna or your outhouse or all this stuff. That's going to be where your dogs are living. That's going to yes. be your or or even your cats. You know, your dogs, your cats. A lot of people back then, you know, they had their cats out there, and you know, in the yards or whatever. And so it's like. Or the barn, or all these types of things were kind of liminal spaces, right? You know, because they were outside of the house, but they weren't outside of the guard guard so far. You know, like they weren't. But I think the but I think you know you can see that with the idea that the dog or the cat can you know or most any animal can apparently see the other side. So you know they're reacting to things that we can't see. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, and I think uh, quite literally they can uh, smell. And uh, perhaps the cats can see in uh, in more dark environments than than people. So they quite literally, they practically uh, sense more than humans. So I think uh, uh, dogs are great companions to have where I'm. Uh, I'm at the cottage near the pit because that's the that's like uh, enough company I need. And uh, then there is this element of. Uh, Security in the sense that I would be sleeping, and when someone would burglarize the uh, cottage, I would be sure that my dogs would uh, uh, sense that beforehand and start bark like hell, you know. So, so they like a uh, good uh, liminal companions, yeah. Because they don't, they don't have this aura as, as some 
other people i mean some people might have that they are kind of uh, suffocating the liminal if you if you know what i mean the dogs are on the contrary they enhance the liminal yeah because i think the dogs you know sense the liminal and uh are part of that i mean even look at the mythology of, of a spirit like hecate you know hecate comes with is uh dogs are one of her spirit her one of her animals you know and she's like the goddess of the crossroads in so many ways so Yes, the goddess of the liminal, you know. So the dog is definitely a guardian on the gateway of between the liminal and the and the human, you know. Yes, and uh, it's it's very fascinating that uh, even though you can talk to the dogs and uh, the dogs can growl and bark and whimper to you, they don't know the like uh, human language, but they can sense what you are speaking without understanding the words. They are very clever at that. And uh, there is so much communication with these non-human animals, uh, for example, pet dogs, that um, uh, people would uh, be wise to learn from, you know. Yeah, I think the dogs and cats know more language than than people think, really. Yes. And and I know I've seen people uh, use like these type of things, like where they have like words on them, and they teach the cat to use it to communicate. And the cats like can like learn how to communicate with these like these like word processor things, you know, where they press a button. So it's like it starts to te- show you that I think that like I feel like the cats a lot of times know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? They just yeah. don't, they just can't really speak back at you, but they're, you know they're around you long enough. I think they start to figure out what what you're saying. You know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, I heard most my friend said that uh, it it had been studied apparently that the cats develop uh, a special language for each of their owners in the sense that uh, they adjust to kind of communicating directly with their owners, like uh, uniquely at each time. And uh, that's that's quite interesting. And I, I think it's very apparent that uh, uh, people give less credit to the non-human animals such as dogs and uh, cats that, you know, they sort, yeah. you know, yeah, I think they they treat these animals like they're dumb, and I, yes, <laughs> I just think that that's um, that's stupid. You know, I I think these I think animals can learn a lot of languages. I mean, even think about birds, you know, or or crows. Crows can learn, you know, are about crow, ravens and crows are about as smart as a little child. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, they animals are much smarter than people think. It's just because they can't speak back to you in words, they're speaking to you in other ways. You know. Yeah, yeah, and also it it seems like, uh, uh, and, and I think this is a fact. Uh, cats and dogs are very good at being cats and dogs, but are humans any more good at being humans? You know, but <laughs> we are it, we, we are something else nowadays. And I I think uh, modern people are at many senses uh, degraded, are, are de-evolutized. You know, we are becoming dumber by the years. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that I think that <laughs> people, the more they they kind of um, I guess get away from from the natural state of things, they get dumber. You know, like um, more they're just spending time in their house playing video games and not doing anything useful with their lives at all. Because I think I think the human brain human body needs to be engaged with real physical things you know what i mean like like it's not satisfied by sitting there and looking at a screen you know yes so it's like you 
it's important to engage with real things. I mean, older generations, that's what, that's what they're all about. You know, it's like, oh, let's learn how to fix the car or learn how to, you know, learn, you know, some of the older people know, knew very well how to do every, things with the outdoors, you know, camping and how to survive and, uh, and knew how to like fix cars and you had to fix all kinds of stuff. Like then you had to build things, you know, like they're just a lot more constructive yeah. in so many ways than people are now you know what i mean and more hardy people at that uh, i think uh, the problem is that uh, we have become as a whole uh, generally uh, like a like, like a spectator society that we, uh, people in general are just watching somebody else do the action uh, be it some kind of action movies porn or whatever and uh, people are doing less and less by themselves and uh, I think that's a huge problem. And I, I think this is a good leeway into another text I had provi provided uh, beforehand, uh, which uh, delves into the main culprit. I think it's the so-called consensus reality, which is kind of uh, like the antithesis of the liminal. And uh, we have probably touched, touched the subject before, but uh, this is a fresh text. So if you will, I can read this. I yeah, think this uh, summarizes very well. So in society, consensus reality functions as a unifying force, establishing a shared framework for interpreting the world. However, this collective lens simultaneously operates as a reductionary mechanism, marginalizing phenomena that exist on the peripheries of the mainstream understanding, often referred to as liminal phenomenon. These experiences or concepts which span the esoteric, the occult, and the separational frequently find themselves pushed into the outskirts of collective awareness. When addressed, they are commonly misrepresented or oversimplified, a practice that not only impoverishes society's collective understanding, but can also yield detrimental societal and psycho psychological repercussions. Authentic engagement with these marginalized phenomena holds the potential to enrich both the individual and collective perspectives on the fabric of reality. The um, yeah, I think that you're you're right. Like with the idea that this kind of consensual reality kind of, um, I feel like it kind of um. The kind of spectator life that people have i really think is the main issue you know like i look at people and i don't understand how they are so satisfied with just sitting around and watching stuff on their phone or on their screen like as far as like uh you know i like watching movies and all but you know like you know i mean like people sit there and they watch uh you know porn yeah. and all those kinds of stuff and you know like they just live these like lonely boring lives and they don't do anything particularly useful they don't learn any skills you know and they're yeah. you know somebody you know there's a lot of these guys that just you know watch porn and they never even really try to get a girlfriend or you know what i mean like and this can be such a probably unsatisfying life you know like to be living this way to be living without actually like engaging with anything in reality you know yeah it's it's kind of a, like a fast food or uh distractions 
all the way. And uh, now I think it's it's going worse and worse because they have this, uh, at least YouTube, uh, Facebook and Instagram, they have these short videos, which are like, and TikTok, I think. Uh, I, I think uh, I'm now uh, 45 years old, so I'm 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 uh, luckily I'm too old for that shit, so to speak. But I, I pity the younger generations which kind of uh, grow into this kind of uh, short attention span style entertainment because I think that uh, that has been studied and uh, Facebook and social media alone, let let alone this kind of new type of uh, media is very damaging to the brain i think for the neurotransmitters dopamine and serotonin and whatever else you know yeah i think the only the only place where i see a kind of hint of any kind of hope for the future of humanity is i feel like um i've been noticing that <clears throat> and my friends are noticing this too that that the young like some of the younger generation are actually turning against that kind of stuff and are actually going back to like uh trying to have like more of an analog life i guess you could say and someone yeah. so I, I think that's that i hope that 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 grows i hope people grow uh these some of these younger generation kind of turn against that and realize that yeah fuck this like let's kind of go back a little bit because i do think that that's important like i don't think human human culture can survive this kind of digitized digitization you know because we we are in, we are in bodies of flesh right we need to be interacting with the world in a real way a digital visual type of uh type of life is never going to be satisfying you're never going to grow you're just going to be existing in this kind of artificial um kind of visual world you know yeah it's a, it's a true hallucination to be there like thinking that you're existing and living through your phone right like the phone is just a tool it should just should just be a tool I don't know, like to create other things for yourself, you know, like in the real world. You know what I mean? Yes, it's it's like uh, it's practically like the Matrix, the movie, <laughs> in the sense that the people are existing as some kind of uh, like a human batteries, or at least some kind of uh, slaves, in the sense that uh, there is this nice term uh, wage slavery. And I, I, I think it's uh, quite fitting in the sense that uh, uh, people are so spent up during the work days that they don't have any brain power left, so they just uh, distract themselves until they uh, recharge for the next day to be wage slaves. Yeah, you know? yeah, and it's definitely a thing in our culture, and I do believe it is the kind of enslaving forces of, of you know, I do believe, I don't believe, I, I believe that there are indeed in forces that seek to enslave humanity in this world you know operating on a kind of occult level you know what i mean and uh you can see that within that type of thing like you know and any type of any type of culture any type of thing that seeks to restrict people's freedom and tries to create this kind of form of slavery and and worship of some type of thing like i believe is that kind of force of an enslaving humanity because it's like not some, the that's not the natural state of humanity. The natural state of humanity is very different. You know, like people used to live life in a much, much more vital, vibrant way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it it's definitely some kind of spiritual malady or some kind of uh, collective psychosis or disease or whatever. And uh, I have been discussing this thing, uh, the 
kind of uh, age of rational, overt rationalism. I think the French Revolution was uh, like a main culprit on this this goddamn psychosis we are uh, on the death throes currently. I think I th- my my some. Uh, my um, former guest said that uh, this has been kind of like an experiment and it has been a kind of, a, uh, we, we can now see how terrible it has been because I think it has birthed uh, at least two world wars, you know, and uh, it's debatable if if we are currently experiencing the third world war in, world war in the sense that uh, it wouldn't be like the last world war, of course, because the wars change, of so yeah it well, doesn't look good <laughs> i think i think we can blame much like william blake the uh did the industrial revolution yes that one cool. know, the industrial revolution and the age of enlightenment you know at one hand and uh these things have you know they've created great things for us but then they've created horrible things at the same time and and the reason why we're in the state we're in and the destruction of the earth that we're in is because of of blind human stupidity and also Christianity because of their because so many of these people believe the kind of Christian idea that we're just put on this earth to basically use it up and then we'll like yeah. all go to heaven. You know what I mean? Like locusts. Yeah, like locusts. <laughs> you know, it's literally a belief of like a certain segment of Christian people that exists to this day. They really do believe that we're just here to to harvest the earth basically and just use it as we will you know what i mean yes and uh, that 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 kind of psychology that arose from from particularly christianity is probably one of the most like toxic types of concepts that has affected the western civilization you know yeah like humans as the lords of the earth or something you know yeah that we're just here to just use it and abuse it you know very alien concept to every single ancient culture that exists yes you know and that, uh which all had respect for the earth you know <laughs> <laughs> that definitely didn't exist in the pagan times that kind of irreverence to that nature you know no and uh, i think uh actually i had i have a good um damn uh, i i actually sent that you are via the facebook messenger like a like a bit by frater acer uh the who is the author co-author of uh goetic atavism's book i think that's was from here that's that's a, like a just a small extract but this directly relates to what you were saying so see, he, he or the another uh, author said that such an animistic worldview stands in a wonderful contrast to the obsession of the western magicians with classifying and categorizing fixed list lists of spirits and sealing them hermeneutically into hierarchical orders. Such a positivist, rational approach to describing spirit species makes the perfect sense from the vantage point of monotheistic religions. So I think that would suffice. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, this type of this type of concept, you know, I mean, it's just been very destructive. You know, there was some aspects of the you know, the Lightman in terms of personal freedom and liberation, which I can believe in, but I kind of, I guess I kind of would side more with the romantic, the romantics, you know, and the Gothic people and, and the, right, you know, you know, people like Shelley and stuff who believed in this kind of freedom, but also believed in the irrationality and the dark, dark side of, you know, you kind of rejected the kind of enlightenment idea that 
we can know everything and all that kind of stuff, but it did accept the idea of like liberty and freedom, you know? Yeah, I think that's a very like, um, this has been a very bad idea in the sense that it kind of elevates uh, humans into some kind of uh, like uh, angels, whereas it's it's quite evident that people are demons and angels in the same package. And speak of the speaking of the demons, I just attended to, to a lecture today. It was by a leading Finnish psychiatrist. Psychiatrist specialized on the criminal psychiatry. He he had some fascinating insights on the darker sides of humanity, such as psychopathy and violence. And I think he uh, painted uh, quite a grim and dark picture of what humans really are. That there are some some people say psychopaths that cannot be. Um, mended or cured in the sense that for example uh, if if you give a psychotherapy to a psychopath he only gets worse because he learns to manipulate people better and he, it was interesting that uh, uh, this this uh, psychiatrist uh, professor uh, talked about uh, the evolutionary causes and the kind of uh, even benefits of uh, of uh, psychopathy and this kind of thing, that uh, th- these genes have been passed on because they have had uh, some kind of uh, even a grim purpose in our evolutionary history. And this is something, this, these are kind of like harsh truths that uh, most people wouldn't uh, like to taste, if you know what I mean. Certainly. I mean, yeah. I, if you think about it, uh, psychopathology in a way, it actually is is kind of a, a a positive evolutionary trait in the sense that you you are valuing your existence above all else, right? So, those kind of people are very much survivors, you know. You yes. Know, you, and we we engage with people probably every day who are maybe even to a lesser degree a, a somebody who is a psychopath, you know, or a sociopath, <laughs> you know. Yes, and the, the, he even said that the, they make the best politicians in the sense, and uh, they are like a good uh, business leaders in the sense that they don't have any moral grounds of uh, like uh, firing like thousands of people, and uh, they can sleep through the night like a baby afterwards. You know exactly. Yeah, I and think uh, that I... that's like an old adage, but but it's true. I think. No, I think that everyone. If you look at somebody like Jeff Bezos. He is definitely a, psych- a psychopath, you know, yeah. or sociopath. I mean, he obviously is. I mean, anybody who needs that much money and doesn't give a fuck about anybody and like, doesn't care about, you know, anybody else is 100% a psychopath, you know? Like, there's no, there's no way to, you know, there's no way somebody got to that level without being a fucking complete psychopath you know <laughs> you have to be quite truthless i, I would say and uh, it's it, it's just so crazy that uh, uh, some like uh, professions really favor this kind of uh, ruthless uh, behavior and thinking and uh, i think it was all the despair sorry despair.com uh like uh motivational poster kind of like a parody of the emotional uh, motivational poster and I think it said something like uh, the power corrupts and absolute power co- corrupts absolutely but it also fucking rocks so in the sense that uh, if somebody would get uh, like uh, too much power it would definitely like uh, 
uh, change their character. So if somebody would, wouldn't uh, like uh, begin as a total uh, psychopath or sociopath, he would in in turn into that if he would have like a limitless power, as we have seen from the dictators, you know. Yeah. It really yeah. changes something in, in the brain. Yeah, I think that that that, that there's um there's learned psychopath psych, psychopathology as well. I do think that people can learn to be that way. You know, I even have this book, it's kind of, it's a crazy book. It's a called the Psychopath's Bible. And it's by this these oh, people I who think are, I know it. <laughs> yeah, they're like they're basically stating, you know, they're basically encouraging people to be psychopaths because because you can be much stronger and more powerful and and, <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, like so it's it's definitely I think it's a learned skill. And I'm you know, I think that all soldiers are basically brainwashed into being psychopaths, you know? Because you have to be to be able to blow somebody's brains out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh it's this american um like uh, officer i don't know his name but i know jeff grossman i think he had this book on killing and he, i think he in that book he tells about this uh, process of desensitization and uh, kind of uh, i think in every war uh, the enemy is uh, dehumanized they are like uh, some kind of uh, animals cockroaches or what kind of like insects because that is like necessary part of for in order to just kill lots of people to think that they are not humans and yeah. that's something uh, which have been done like over the history time and yeah. time again and that's part of the danger of the kind of rare tick of um different you know the different extremes of political parties you know like when you see the people on the left where they just dehumanize anybody who doesn't agree with them and call them fascists or whatever yes. you know term they want to use you know they don't seem to realize that that type of that type of language that they're speaking is the type of language that leads to war because they're dehumanizing their opponent you know and yes it's like uh you know it's just like it's the same type of thing you see so much you know like in every every culture where that has these enemies, you know, if you look at old old war posters of from World War II or World War One, propaganda. And, yeah, and those things yeah. have lasting issue, create lasting issues. I mean, the, the propaganda, the anti-German propaganda, for example, in the States had a lot of problems for German Americans, you know, because yeah. all of a sudden they're seen as kikes and stuff like that, you know, like that's what, and they're being attacked. And, you know, uh, here in Colorado, the KKK burned down the Coors, had this um, Coors Brewing Company, uh, you know, the beer company. They had a, in Golden, where I grew up, they had a, uh, there's like this 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 um, kind of really famous like uh, Mesa. Um, and there's like this kind of st- table, this type of rock um, outcropping. And they used to have like a vernacular that went up and they had like a, a restaurant on the top. And you know, after during after, during around time of World War One, the KKK burned that down because there was, you know, the Coors family was a, was a German family. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. So, so like, um, uh, so that kind of that kind of dehumanizing stuff has real world effects. You know, like, yeah, my my on my grandfather's side, my mom's side, we were German, but his his grandfather would never even talk about it because he didn't want people to to know that they were German. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and that can change uh, like a very 
very urgently in in times of war you know suddenly some part of minority of some nation becomes like a enemy and of course that that can lead lead to concentration camps and what yeah. not well, the I, world over here's you a know, fun, that kind of thing here's a funny story about about that like um my uh so you know, during World War II, you know, they had uh, they imprisoned all the Japanese pe- people, you know, in America. They put them all in yes. concentration camps. International, yeah, yeah, and um, and uh, so so they they actually came to uh, my family's house up in Vermont, like you know, because they thought the the Hikara last name was Finnish or it was uh, Japanese. <laughs> oh, so. So they like, yeah, I guess apparently that the government came and like knocked the door and I'm like my uncle who's like this big, tall, you know, Finnish guy like opens the door like, <laughs> yeah. we look, do we look Japanese? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, that's so. that's quite something. You know? <laughs> you know, in Finland, we had also we had a civil war and uh, it was quite brutal. It didn't last that long, but it was very brutal in the sense that uh, uh, and and of, of course the propaganda behind before the war was like uh, elementary to the bloodshed, like you know it was it was quite quite grim. And I think uh, I have been discussing this too with my Finnish colleagues and uh, this uh, current uh, political uh, polarization. Which of course you have you have it very bad over there, but we have we, we are not uh, that uh, that uh, like. Uh, far behind in Finland and uh, it, it, it's that so crazy that some people don't have any fucking clue that they are propagating like towards the uh, uh, kind of a low level civil war and uh, if times get uh, that much worse that can really happen in our century too you know and people shouldn't forget about that they, they should know what they're pl- like uh, playing with like it just said uh, Left is uh, demonizing everybody. They don't agree with as fascist and whatever. We have seen that in in the black metal circles many times. You know. Yeah, exactly. You know, and yeah, I mean, I know I've read about like because my I remember my grandma was actually still in Finland during World War One. She left between the two wars, but I know that you know there was the civil war in Finland. You know. When you when you like sh- you know like gain freedom from the from the Russians and all that stuff during World War One, right? And there was like the civil war. I know. Um, right. Actually, in the, the Finnish civil war was something like uh, between the the whites and the reds. The reds yeah. were like uh, like a low income uh, people, like uh, like farmers, and uh, and uh, they were like uh, influenced by the Russian Revolution, I would say. And uh, I think Lenin even had had something to do with the Finnish civil war. I think. Yeah, and uh, it was yeah. like it was like driven by kind of a commun, like, you know, kind of yeah. communists and people trying to yeah fight that kind of Russian communist quality. You know, uh, it's yeah. like. It's like the uh, yeah, and then World War II, of course, the Russians invaded Finland again. Yeah, that was like a different thing altogether. But but yes, yes, that's very very like um, um, bad bad history in Finland, and uh, people really shouldn't forget about that. That uh, it's 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 just so fucking idiotic that uh, people flirt with this kind of thing that they don't have any any like uh, they don't they don't know history enough, you know. (laughs) No, you know, and it's easy. Yeah. Yeah. people, you know, particularly like in a country like Finland, you know, you you won your freedom 
in a, you know, at a, at a high cost. And it seemed like for a long time, that was very important to finish people. And nowadays it seems like they've forgotten that the the bloodshed that was acquired to have the freedom they have. You know what I mean? Yes. I think it's, 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 things are too easy nowadays and uh, people are just uh, stuck up their own heads, up their own asses. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, during the uh, Russian Ukraine war, uh, people like um, got alarmed and uh, like uh, woke up from the slumber, and uh, this kind of polarization ceased for a moment. And uh, fin- Finland uh, joined the NATO, <laughs> which was like uh, unheard of before, but that happened, and uh, which was good, of course, finally, and. Uh, now, now I think uh, we are back to the old, uh, old polarization. But uh, that's a uh, quite a uh, depressing topic, so we can we can <laughs> move on because you cannot really like uh, avoid that thing in Finland. I try to avoid it as much as I can, but you yeah, know, definitely. what can yeah. you do? <laughs> yeah, because yeah, except because if I was Finland, I'd be very, if I was in Finland, I'd be kind of worried about the Russians trying to attempt a, a new, uh... <laughs> yeah, take, some take, kind take, of yeah. If I was in and all those countries bordering there, all the former Soviet bloc, would be worried because it seemed like struck me that that possibly Putin has 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 intentions to try to bring back the old Soviet bloc. You know what I mean? But yeah, some something like that, evidently, because of the, of the Ukraine war and uh, yeah. But, but luckily, he's gotten bogged down there, so probably not gonna. He's not probably not gonna invade all these other yeah. places at the same time. So <laughs> yeah, they're pretty much freaked in in Ukraine, I think, and and they don't they don't have any resources of uh, to to do something like that to another country for like uh, many many years now. I would think. Yeah, I don't think so. But yeah, the um, but all this being said, that I think that the uh, <clears throat> the thing that we see is that these people that. I think that this type of polarization, this type of thought process that we've, we've just been discussing really stems from people. I personally think that people who are afraid of the shadow and the darkness yes. are much more prone to engaging in this type of behavior. All the people that you see who point the fingers at other people who who are very easily manipulated by propaganda and by... Uh, dehumanization of other humans and all this kind of stuff are people who are afraid of the darkness you know who who never who afraid of the shadow they 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 try to you know opiate themselves and 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 whatever you know what i mean like those are the types of people who are most easily manipulated you know and i think that that's the thing like if you're not afraid to delve into the shadow self then you're going to be, if you're dealt once you're like kind of delving into the shadow, it's much harder for people to manipulate you because a lot of the manipulations work upon the shadow level, you know, the unconscious shadow level of people. You know what I mean? I, I think this relates to the monstrum in the sense that uh, if your own monster or the shadow complex, whatever is uh, in in your, you are like. Um, ruling over it it's it's at your disposal and uh, you are you are like uh, in control in the sense that uh, in on the contrary some people don't even know about their shadow and uh, i think people who are fearful are easily manipulated into some kind of reactive hate 
towards the so-called the other, you know. And uh, I think, uh, for example, in the extreme mental scene, people are very laid back in at the gigs, and uh, they are very, very less, like very little, like. Uh, public disturbances and this kind of like uh, uh, things that the pol- police or the security would have to attend to. For example, in Finland, we have this uh, um, popular like uh, Finnish uh, slugger, you know, the, I don't know, the tango and that kind of, you know, uh, events. And uh, they are very, very violent when compared to the extreme metal gigs. The Finnish police has even... Uh, published some kind of statistics about that. For, for example, the Finnish, uh, the most well-known and the biggest uh, Finnish metal festival, Tuska, which is translated as agony or pain, uh, has very, very little like uh, police reports. And uh, I think that tells something that, that the extreme metal people, the fans and the musicians, they delve uh, pathologically with the shadow and the darker aspects of human life so they kind of like exercise the demons and uh, whereas the people who are like uh, goody tussles or the good men's as the Germans say uh, they have they are more prone to some kind of uh, violence and uh, idiotic outbursts of uh, you know this kind of reactive hate yeah no I 100% you know like like, like I've ne- you know I've never been to a a metal show where I'm actually really afraid, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. where you're like, oh, people are gonna get a fight or something. Like that doesn't happen really at metal shows. What that does happen at is like, uh, if you go to like a uh, normal bro bar or something like that, <laughs> bro you know, bar, you know, like <laughs> yes. like those types of those types of people. Like those are the people that you have to worry about. You know what I mean? Because yeah, they're so overruled by. They're, they're they're basically existing on some type of sub sub animal level you know i feel like a lot of these people are not even not even i mean to call them animals like a uh uh <laughs> insult to the animals insult to the animals <laughs> yeah they're they're, they're subhuman you know they're sub animal yeah. you know like they're operating on this type of level and they're so ignorant and so asleep that they're completely driven by blind you know um blind ignorance and that's that's those are the type of people that you see getting into fights those are the type of people you see you know in those types of situations you know what i mean like they're the ones who are going to be raping and and engaging in all that kind of behavior because they're they're literally just like essentially like uh automatons you know what i mean yeah, like npc characters from video game or something and they have this uh like a baggage and this kind of like uh, like a gas inside them waiting to burst out like at the moment's notice. It's, it's so interesting that uh, you have the same thing at the States that we have in Finland because I have really seen that thing. For example, I met my friend at some local Finnish bar. I haven't been in that bar for many years and people were ba- playing a billiard or a pool in, in I think, in English. And... Uh, the, the kind of like suppressed some kind of uh, weird uh, violence was like uh, you know it it was it was like behind the curtain even though nobody would get into fights but it it was strange to witness in the sense that uh, people had uh, like a short fuse in the sense for example I crossed some unknown guy who was uh, playing the pool 
and uh, I I just stared him as he stared me at 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 some kind of like a blank face. There was no like direct confrontation, but there was something like uh, still behind, you know, the surface. And uh, maybe it was because I didn't turn my face away because I didn't know that fucking guy. I didn't have any business with him or any beef. But uh, it was still like a good reminder that uh, those people, I think, have some kind of issues that uh, they are just waiting to get a good, you know, excuse to solve with some kind of uh, idiotic fighting, I would say. Yeah, well, it is definitely, you can see that there's some people where if you just look at them the wrong way, all of a sudden they're like, why do you look at me like that? You know, I just kind of like... the classic. (laughs) Yeah, there's like kind of insane insane behavior you know and and yeah. i think that um <clears throat> so much of that is driven by i guess the id you know like these people are operating on a pure id um and very much they're overruled by the shadow they're overruled by fear yeah you know and um like a bad self-esteem and that kind of stuff you know yeah you know and and and, and the thing if you I mean, like Jungian psychology the shadow is what um drives projection so people who are overruled by the shadow are projecting their fear oh, onto other people. Definitely. And um, and that's what you see so much in people who are driven by the shadow is that they are projecting their shadow onto other human beings. And and so you can see this in different different ways. There there is the kind of way that we're just describing like the kind of bro bro type of guy who's like, you know, ready to fight and, you know rape and murder at at, at uh, no moment's notice but then you also have like the kind of other side of it of the kind of leftist person who's afraid to do any type of direct action but is so overruled by their fear and their shadow you know what i mean that they're projecting their own bullshit onto everybody around them you know what i mean yes like uh and, and engaging probably in some kind of uh, mob internet uh violence in the center of, of cancel culture and that kind of stuff so of course they are violence they are like a direct uh, physical violence and then there's of course like a physical actually psychical and uh, mental and uh, social violence for example women use different type of violence than men of course but uh, i think all humans are, are prone to that kind of stuff and i think it's related to power and uh, people are just uh, inherently power hungry creatures and uh, they try to better up their own uh, status in their society you just cannot avoid that it's uh, like something which if you are like a cognizant of uh, it's a very good thing because you can keep that in check and you can use that kind of destructive um, faculties when they are needed in a, like a good uh, creative and uh, constructive sense and not like uh, reactively, you know, which yeah. is the big problem here. Yeah, and I think that a big part of that is the whole aspect of those who are not afraid to go into that darkness and and into the kind of basis and and um into the labyrinth of of the night of the monstrum you know and and uh those who are diving into these things and engaging with these things and engaging the monstrous and actually i guess in a way befriending the monstrous you know like you're integrating with integrating yes um those are integrating with the darkness becoming one of the darkness they you know we're much less likely to be uh victims of these types of behaviors because uh because so many ways you've kind of 
engaged with that shadow and and made friends with it you know what i mean like you're not uh as so much big part of of uh dealing with these types of forces be it you know in some occult worlds be it the cliff off or you know the underworld or the cat catabasis into these types of these types of dark forces you know in a lot of ways these are also dealing psychologically with ourselves and our shadows and and integrating with those and so yeah you're going to be much less likely to be uh, uh manipulated by these types of things yes. in media um and yeah you're just going to be you're going to be set apart from all of these people and um and i think a big part of that too is the outward expression of these things is important that's why like you said with metal or any or horror fiction it's the same thing with horror if you go to a horror convention the people at the horror convention are probably some of the nicest most laid-back people you're going to meet you know what i mean yeah and they're like they're engaging with like you know horrific things and the same thing with metal um and you know so, in so many ways these two worlds are very connected and i think even though some people even if they're not consciously engaging the shadow the fact that they're so you know so into horror or so into metal is doing that work as well so even even for people who are not consciously <clears throat> engaging those things um they are engaging with it through the through the medium so those who are truly engaging with them creating these works of art are actually doing a service for other humans who may That's not right. be, yeah because these people because then there's gonna be other people who are maybe not as conscious and aware of these things but they still gain the same a lot very much a lot of the benefit from engaging with these things you know what i mean i definitely agree and uh, i think uh, we are at the moment uh, doing this kind of uh, like a shadow work in the sense collectively and uh, that relates to the people who are listening to the podcast to this podcast and uh, my my podcast mycelium signal and uh, i think uh, yeah that's that's kind of uh, like uh, being my mission from the day one i would say that embark on the databases constantly and uh, extract some kind of uh, dark pills from the you know from the, from the bottom from the from the bottom of the earth or or sea or whatever and uh, bring them up to the people to see with the art of course and uh, i i think i have received uh, like a good feedback from this practice but this is not of course not for all and uh, this will never be popular, but but it's still very like important. I think uh, the summons of old uh, had the same kind of purpose in the society to be kind of like a liminal messengers. And uh, most definitely, you know, you know, the shamans or so much of their work was to go into the underworld to to go in and find this type of uh, chthonic um, and. Uh, a causal wisdom you know what i mean and bring it into this world and i think that very much people engaging in this work today are the kind of modern equivalent of this kind of shamanic tradition in so many ways and and even with the alchemists you know like we were, we were discussing before about the idea of the vitriol you know the yes the wisdom that is in the bowels of the earth you know that is the wisdom that is is created from the pressure of the bowels of the earth of the pressure of uh the pearl that like you described that that is created in this type of subterranean pressure you know what i mean like that's where the, the wisdom is found you know yeah the, the vitriol was uh directly like a translated from latin to english uh the acronym so it was like to visit the interior of the earth and by rectifying um or, or purifying you will find the hidden stone the philosopher's stone 
you know and i think this is this is directly the whole point of the database is to kind of uh, do an initiatory process <laughs> to kind of distill some kind of uh, dark wisdom you know exactly yeah you know and it is it is a distilling process because it's a process of of taking this wisdom from the dark and distilling it into this 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 type of stone um but but even the process of the darkness itself is what is creating this pearl in so many ways i believe because it it is like under pressure you know and under friction and that's where the wisdom comes it's where the fire of illumination comes because if you can look at like in um in runic rune in the runic uh, alphabet you have the 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 rune nalthis which is the need fire yeah. which is the friction fire it's fire built from friction right so that's where yes the black flame of illumination is coming from is coming from this friction you know like any kind of uh, like a uh, training physical training and mental training it's like a, it's also straining as as long as uh, like it's it's also training and and straining you know <laughs> exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah if you think about when you're weightlifting you're utilizing the room analysis because you're using physical friction essentially to build muscle you know yeah so it's like it's it's the same thing so it's even with, with this type of wisdom of the of the philosopher's stone or dark pearl of, of the catabasis you know is is going to be uh uh it's through continual practice that this is developed you know you have to go down and can continue going down under to be able to to uh to kind of create this this stone if that makes sense Yes, it's it's also like a sculpting in the sense that you have a, like a big block of marble and uh, it it doesn't have any form and you're chipping away and eventually it will be like a statue, and I think it's the same with the pit, my spiritual sanctuary near my cottage, and I have been doing that project for eight years now, and uh, as I have molded the pit, the pit has molded me in the sense that uh, I have been. Uh, doing this uh, catabasis for this long, and uh, it seems like I have finally found found out that this really is my magnum opus, my great work. In the sense that uh, it's 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 a it's a very exhilarating thing to understand that you are finally on the right path, and you everything you are putting the coins into the bank, and uh, they are like. Uh, 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 I don't know the I don't remember the English term, but they they are raising like a revenue, you know. Yeah, I think that um that type of work. I mean, if I think that's that's like say with like alchemy, you know, the external work of alchemy was simply a internal was a representation of the internal process, right? So it's like similar to what you're doing with the pit. You're creating an external kind of work. That is having internal results, if that makes sense. Yeah, so like a like, garden of the soul. Exactly. And I mean, you see that with Zen Buddhism as well. Um, you know, in Zen Buddhism in, in, um, in Japan, they create these, these gardens where they continuously work and they're like raking rocks, you know, and creating these patterns in the rocks. And, and it's very much like a kind of uh, create, you know, so much of that is creating this kind of uh, representation of the internal labyrinths that are out there. In these gardens, yes, I, you know. I, I think this uh, like a continual, like a recurring work is very important in the sense that, uh, for example, during every fall, there are lots of leaves and debris on the ground at the pit. It's like a, it takes me many, many hours to clean that up. 
And uh, my friend once uh, jokingly said something like, uh, do you understand that you have to do this time and time again? And I said, that's that's directly what, what's the whole point in this, in the sense that kind of like a holy work, in the sense that I'm purifying the place by by giving it my own toil and, uh, you know, uh, time and energy. It's 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 sacralizing the place. Yeah. In that way. And uh, you know, in in the old in the Gurdjieff work, like the Gurdjieff had like um in the Gurdjieff groups, that was a big part of it too. You know, he'd have people go out and garden or dig holes and stuff like that and and it was just the act of the work that was what was important, you know. It wasn't yeah, you know, people would be doing this and they'd be like, Why am I doing this? You'd be like, Because you need to like just do these these actions and and find these internal states you know what i mean like so i think that that it's just such an inherent part of uh of 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 so much of spiritual practice you know down the ages you know yeah i I also think that uh, gurdjieff uh, had this the same practice you're referring to he had some new student who was like a like a street prowler you know a very like a tough guy and uh, he he made him study algebra or like uh, advanced mathematics and uh, then he had some like uh, academically uh, well educated like a uh, fine fellow and he he like uh, ordered him to toil with uh, d- dung heaps you know to do that kind of very manual like uh, smelly work in the sense and that was like a uh, opposite doing which i think is also in the indian left hand tantra you know the yeah. left hand original yeah definitely you have to, you something. have to engage with the opposite of what you are and and find that kind of balance you know and it's also breaking down the the constructed ego self you know as well as a part of that for for those types of teachings because you know if you're some kind of street tough and you built your e you know you built this kind of ego super ego from your environment that is this type of lifestyle then when you're suddenly engaging with the opposite that's breaking down that constructed ego so that the uh true self can can kind of arise out of that you know what i mean yes i think it's also like a deconstructing and and, uh, going off your comfort zone in the sense that uh, uh, you are suddenly uh, like a new by when you are like in a completely new uh, field in the sense that uh, you would feel like completely helpless and idiotic if you are not uh, if you don't know what what the hell to do you know and i think that's a good uh, lesson for lots of occultists to have this humility you know yeah, have humility and and also <laughs> to you do need to break apart the I guess like the external human constructed ego. The the human brain has constructed an ego through the uh, and the super ego which is your sense of your place and culture, you know, the state of stuff in society. Yeah. And so it's like you you need to deconstruct the human constructed ego so that the I guess you could say the uh divine ego can can take its place you know the the ego of the the true self you know what i mean yes i i think it's a very good practice to i i mean to practice some kind of uh outsiderism in the sense that uh, for for example uh normal people he has his nationality he has his profession he has his uh, family and uh, he has his wealth and whatever like uh, marital status or whatever and uh, i think it will be a go- good uh, experiment 
to try to be as outsider as you can. So, for example, not to not to um, um, watch news and that kind of stuff. And I think I have been doing just that like uh, progressively through the years. And uh, I would say that nowadays, because I am not invested in the news and uh, I'm pretty much uh, an outsider and uh, has always been, I am not irritated by the polarization anymore and that kind of stuff, because it, it just seems like I'm seeing all kinds of like uh, structures and faces uh, and uh, kind of like frameworks and not the flesh. I'm kind of seeing like uh, behind things. Um, even more clearly nowadays, and uh, I think it it kind of um, how would you say uh, I I have gotten so much more energy and uh, spirit because I'm not like uh, attached to that uh, consensus reality straight jacket, and uh, I haven't been that uh, straight jacketed in the past, of course, because this is uh, like a lifelong project. But during the last about uh, three years, I have made uh, like immense progress in the sense that uh, I'm finally I'm starting to see like uh, directed through that, and uh, it's it's very exhilarating, you know, to yeah. be at this stage. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, um. The author Michael Kelly in his book Apophis has like a, a section of where he says like on the path of kind of developing yourself, you have to do this work where you gain control over yourself and you start seeing you need to like um, say like read a newspaper and see what triggers like some type of emotion within you and then stop and then ask yourself, why is this triggering this emotion? And then eventually you start to see the kind of way that you're being manipulated you know, through newspapers, through media, you know what I mean? Like, because it's triggering, because it's like using, they're using particular types of language to trigger certain types of emotional responses in the animal brain, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. And the more that you become aware and and conscious of this type of stuff and conscious of your own triggers and, and you, you can actually start to turn those off and kind of go, okay, like, I'm not going to be allowing them to manipulate me, you know what I mean? And you start to really see the way that, culture and society is being manipulated all the time you know what i mean and you can start to really like like pierce through all that kind of stuff and see how definitely these, how these types of uh enslaving forces and reality are are operating you know what i mean that's that's even like a scientifically true that they, i think it, it would this would be very easily to prove in a in a very like a uh, psychological scientific way because it's it's so evident and it becomes so much more and more evident uh, the more you are uh, kind of uh, released from that straight jacket of consensus reality you know and yeah. it, uh, that's quite interesting that uh, i have once uh, maybe used uh, uh, erroneously uh, consensual reality and that's not the same as consensus reality for example uh, if we are living in some kind of uh, like uh, like um how would you say a compound or whatever that kind of like a tribal place uh, we might have some kind of uh, consensual reality in the sense that uh, uh, our reality is very much attuned you know but consensus reality is something which is like uh, uh pressed uh, from the top to the down you know and uh, that's even worse because that's that's kind of a something uh like a like the to in totalitarian states, that's like a, they are the most uh, extreme examples of that. That yeah. it's kind of uh, 
uh, some kind of hidden egregore, which is like constantly watching over people and uh, making you act like something because you never know. For example, in the uh, DDR, the uh, Soviet uh, uh, Germany back in the day, uh, they had the Stasi, the infamous uh, like uh, intelligence and uh, surveillance against it. And uh, I think people were like becoming totally paranoid in the, in that place because they would never know that who is a snitch, you know. Yeah. And uh, that, the milder version of that crap is in modern Western societies as well. And I think the uh, worst culprit to that, because we are in the business of naming culprits, it seems, yeah, I think it's globalism. If yeah. You think. Yeah, I mean, it's like this kind of idea that um, definitely in totalitarian states, it is consensus reality of the sense that what the state says is what is real. So they yes. and they can change reality at any second and and just, you know, lie and stay, say even even if something's patently not true. A totalitarian culture, society, totalitarian state will lie in your face blatantly you know completely wipe people out of of you know stalin used to have people that he had killed like um or erased from he did he'd erase them from history he wouldn't just kill them yeah. he'd like erase totally. them from history totally like airbrushed them out of paintings like or i mean out of pictures and 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 that that kind of totalitarian and consensus consensus insanity is very much uh, a danger right now because of so many things like deep fakes and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, we see this right now. Um, you know, it's it's literally like that kind of uh, it's like a, a state gaslighting of the people. You know, like I mean, you can see it in the country in America right now, the, where the government is really just ignoring things and not. And like, or like straight up lying and saying that they're doing things that they're not doing, or you know what, you know, like they're trying to and like try to force some type of like, like lies and and try to, uh, you know, say that they're true. You know what I mean? And um, I think that's becoming very common across the entire the West, and it's like it's very um, um unfortunate. And you know, I do think that the globalism is a part of that because because now all the countries of the world and the West, I mean, we're all connected through the internet and through all these different things. So it's much easier for these types of ideas to, to spread on a wider level. So you can see that the kind of elites are trying to enforce some type of new idea that they have uh, across the entire West. And, and, um, and you can kind of see that in effect, the fact that the fact that the same, same problems that are happening in America are happening in across Europe, you know what I mean? Just tells you that, that this type of globalist type of uh, thing is is definitely uh, in action. You know what I mean? This this kind of like a monoculture, and uh, for example, uh, if you just think about China and their surveillance uh, machine, which is gigantic, and uh, and I think this uh, uh, advent of AI art and uh, deep fakes. Uh, and uh, how easy it, it would be probably to create deepfakes nowadays. And uh, I have seen like uh, AI art, which is like uh, very easy to like uh, produce, which is so so like uh, real looking that it's very hard to like uh, 
difference then between like a real photographs and and if you would think that uh, if you would have even more like better resources i think it would be very easy nowadays to produce like uh, so real looking deep fakes that uh, no, the normal people at least wouldn't have any means of uh, like uh, differentiating them from the real and and for example the uh, artificial intelligence manipulation of of voice human voice and uh, video video and whatever it's like we are we are at the point that we have no means of saying that anything we see text uh, image video sound based is actually real you know and i think this is this is be, will be a, like a huge problem because people don't believe in any more in in anything for example if the nasa would have a like a like a grand uh, um disclosure that they have found like a ex- ex- extraterrestrial intelligent uh, life forms or whatever they are, they are here or what whatever and so people wouldn't even believe that that or they wouldn't uh, react to that kind of thing because they are so like uh, distracted with their smartphones and whatnot and i think this is a like a very very bad thing yeah, it's a, it's a very dangerous state to yeah. be in. Yeah, for reality. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and it's very much a problem, you know. And and yeah. uh, and then maybe that's why some of the younger generations are like turning against that kind of stuff and trying to go back to some type of analog thing because they, you know, like, I do think that we're reaching a point in which like uh, it's so much of a problem, you know, like that. It's like, what are you gonna do? I mean, like, and and then you have like something like TikTok, which is run by the. Chinese government and you know like <laughs> yes. after uh after Elon Musk took over Twitter he he said that there were like literally like hundreds of thousands of Chinese bots spreading like propaganda and um and stuff to destabilize you know the west you know what i mean so it's like yeah. you know you know i personally think the entire western world needs to get rid of tiktok you know because it's obviously a a tool from the chinese government to destabilize us you know what i mean and I think I think that everything that really bothers me is that is the movement in the West to some of these aspects of Chinese cult, uh, surveillance stuff, and I am like very very like horrified by that. You know, like I don't want to live in a, I don't want to live in 1984. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to live in Terminator. You know, like yeah. you know, like I don't know what kind of idiot watched the movie Terminator and thought that's the future I want to create because that's what they're creating. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> I just don't, I don't understand. I don't understand anybody who thinks that it's an, it's a good thing to, to, to just ruin everything for everybody, you know? And I feel like the, the elites are doing that and, um, you know, because of their own greed, cause they can make money, but they're going to ruin it for literally billions of human beings on the planet, you know, and take away all their livelihood and their ability to survive essentially, you know? So it's like, uh, you know, we're in, we're in a very, precarious time period you know what i mean i think that people need to i do believe that more people need to wake up to the way they're being manipulated and and they they have to confront these shadows and they can't they have to take control over their themselves and their lives and their brains and the way that they're reacting to things like they have consciousness is the tool that we use to to not be manipulated by these things you know like um i was talking about like like uh language that that triggers emotional like emotional language like so a a good really good example of this type of stuff would be um history books 
So like, and a very, very good example of that is, let's say you buy, like I, I'm really into World War II history. And um, when I read a World War II book that is objective, written from an objective way, and you know, there's, there's like a series about um, Nazi Germany, I forget the author, I'd have to like get up and look, but he, he wrote a, a trilogy of books about rise of the third reich living under the third reich and then the war the actual like the battle wars of the third reich and he came under um hostility because he refused to use like uh leading language like uh emotional language and engaging these things he just wanted to present the facts objectively to people like neutral neutral yeah. like being neutral like so instead of being like talking about how insane and evil hitler was every time you bring up his name like some people do he just talked about it in a neutral way. So you, you know, just could just read the history as it is, you know, and he was being attacked by people because of this, because they were like, well, you, you have to present Hitler as this evil thing because that's what, you know, uh, academic society has decided that you need to speak about this type of stuff, which I think is insane because academically you should be neutral. That is true. Yeah. In science too. And yeah. True science, scientific and academic, culture should be neutral it should be like there is no idea that is that is illegal you know there is yeah. no concept that you can't explore you need to be able to explore these things because it's important to do explore these things within literature within writing you know because then that makes it much you know if you're not afraid to talk about something like hitler or stalin or these types of people in a neutral way and the horrors that they did then what you're creating is you're creating this kind of kind of psych psychopathology of people who are just basically just like don't even know why they're reacting the way they are to you know they see the word nazi and they react in this like kind of knee-jerk idiotic way and then then that that kind of grows the shadow of this thing and then that makes it more attractive to people because it has this this type of mystique this type of you know and so the more that yeah. you the more that you try to repress these types of ideas and you don't want to talk about them and and you just try to make them look as evil as possible or whatever then all of a sudden you've made it attractive and then those things are going to grow and that's what you see in countries like germany right now where the far right kind of new nazi parties are starting to arise and i i could have called that out when i was a teenager because i knew this type of idea even when i was young that one more you repress something, the more it's just going to explode, you know? Like, yeah, I, I think we have seen that many times before, and this kind of uh, um, type of behavior creates a, like a veritable egregore and monster. It it kind of gives power to that thing uh, with that kind of rejection and uh, pressure. And uh, um, like you just said, I think... Uh, Carl Jung had a great essay called the Wotan, which he, I think he wrote the first part uh, before the uh, rise of Nazi Germany and the second part of that essay after the uh, fall of Nazi Germany. And uh, it, it's, it's a very like uh, harrowing like, uh, take on that kind of thing which we're, we're talking and uh, it goes very, very deep. And it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good warning. You know, everybody should read. I don't know. Uh, in Finland, we we have that essay um, in in some 
collection and uh, it's probably in some um, English-based collection too. But the, the essay is called Votan, yeah. like uh, the Germanic uh, Odin, you know. Yeah, it's a, that's a really great essay and it very much talks about what I'm talking about and, and it gives yeah. a warning to, you know, people in the future to not be repressing these things essentially, you know, because then they grow wild and in, in the essentially, you know what I mean? And they erupt, you know, they have these eruptions and unfortunately people didn't listen to these things and, and they just repress them and, and, you know, like the more that they're like afraid to even have any kind of pride in their own nationality and stuff and all those types of things, like the more that's going to grow this kind of attractive power to, to an extremist side of things, you know? And, and so it's like the, the fear and the repression ends up creating the, of actually bringing into reality, the very thing that you're afraid of literally, definitely like, like, like like I, I feel like the far left has created more Nazis in the past 10 years than, than, than destroyed any through their kind of repressive tactics. You know what I mean? Just like uh, Jordan Peterson uh, prophesied like uh, some uh, maybe five to ten years ago, uh, he directly said that if the left keeps pushing and pushing uh, the right, the actually dangerous real extreme right will come out. And uh, I think you saw that in the uh, States and uh, in the Europe, that's quite evident as well. And uh, I think it's it's the same like with uh, uh, this free speech problem they have it nowadays and it's it's if you suppress free speech you are creating monsters and i think if people can't argue with words they are going to argue with uh, fists and uh, knives and uh, guns eventually so yeah. it's it's very short-sighted and very very bad idea to suppress free speech even though it would create problems in the short run but in the long run it would create like even more like horrific problems and we have seen that the world over you know actually yeah. i have a like a good snippet uh from the votan essay so people can get some idea this is like a bit broader take but this is directly from that very essay uh jung says that uh, our obsession with rational explanations clearly has its roots in our fear of metaphysics as the two have always been antagonistic siblings consequently Anything that unexpectedly confronts us from that shadowy realm is either deemed to be an external event and therefore real or dismissed as an hallucination and thus not real. The notion that something not originating from the external world could still be true has scarcely begun to dawn on the minds of the people in our era. I think that's very well put. Yeah, and it, in a lot of ways, he's also, I remember saying in that ar- article that in a lot of ways, the kind of extreme rationalism of the Enlightenment had created the fertile grounds for something like the irrationality of the of the National Socialism, you know, that kind of, those kinds of movements, you know, because it's like, yeah, by, by, by pushing away everything that's dark and only trying to exist in the light, you just created a more powerful monster, essentially, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, like like any kind of totalitarianism, and it's 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 just it's just so goddamn short sighted that people don't ever seem to learn that. Uh, for example, uh, the Finnish psychiatrist, the professor, whose uh, lecture I was attending um, tonight, 
he said that, they, for example, if if uh, like a child is constantly like uh, beaten up or maltreated as a in his youth, he will become uh, like a very violent man. He will uh, revenge all the wrongdoings eventually and other people would uh, suffer and uh, then there can be like a like a generations of suffering from because because of this kind of thing that uh, you know it, it just doesn't go away if you are if you are like uh, do, doing uh, evil things to other people it it's kind of a, like a cycle like a karmic cycle and uh, for example all that shit we have nowadays like going on over the world uh, who knows how large uh, like uh, hellish roots are behind, like uh, karmic roots are like uh, behind uh, the current wars. Yeah. Of, well, uh, yeah. I find it fascinating that in this era we still have, uh, you know, like you know, I'm a big, my big, uh, you know, I'm really into the, particularly the history of uh, kind of like the uh, 1800s through to the end of world war ii and we can look at the that era you know is when the some of the greatest art and writing that's ever been created came out of that period but then like a lot of the concepts and the shape of society today has come out of that so we're still dealing with on a social level the same ideas that were created in the 1800s you know we still have people advocating for stuff like communism and yes know, all this That's stuff that that is incredible. Just, <laughs> it's insane to me that there's still people who believe in communism after the failure, the constant failure of that system, and it tens always, of millions of dead people, millions suffering. Of millions. Yeah, I mean, more people have died because of communists than has ever been killed from from National Socialism. You know what I mean? Like just to put it in perspective, and yet they treat National Socialism as this like utter evil. Which they don't realize that the thing that they're advocating for is that same exact utter evil. You know, in my opinion, yeah. communism and Nazism are the same thing. They're the same type of evil inflicted upon society. And uh, it's just bizarre to me that there's these and, you know, in this country, um, people who came who escaped out of that type of totalitarian communist system, people like uh, Milan Kundera or Ayn Rand or Jerzy Kaczynski, you know, these authors, they've all been like, you know, and to one way or another demonized and attacked by the the left because they are not afraid to tell people about the horrors of living in these types of societies, you know, and it seems like the left doesn't want to hear it because they have this kind of imagination, imaginary, you know, idea of what they're, you know, what they want. And to hear the reality of it seems to completely like aggravate them in some way. You know what I mean? Yes, I think the the main problem all the way is that 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 there is no they don't recognize the shadow. And if, if for example, if some some idealistic people say that they are like uh, with the good guys, they are in the right uh, right side of history. So I would say to those people that the Khmer roots in Cambodia back in the day. The horrific things they did, the the fucking massacres and the just unspeakable crimes against the humanity. I think those fuckers were also like uh, at the good side of history from their own viewpoint, where they were like uh, torturing people in the tool slang or whatever. It's like uh, all, all the worst crimes 
uh, against humanity have always been perpetrated by the people who think they're in the right. You know, yeah. idealism is the cancer of history. I would even say. Well, yeah. I mean, look at look at Christianity. Look at Islam. Look, yes. Look at every. It's horrifying. Single, every single ideology that posits itself as being for the good of humanity. Good guys. As the good guys are always anybody who, as Anton Mavey would say, like, where's the good guy badge is actually probably operating on the opposite. You know, like they're the ones who inflict the most horror upon upon human race, you know. And yeah, I believe that idealism is the most is the worst cancer. And I believe that people need to fucking get rid of idealism. Like if you really want to live in a real way and actually be able to create a good society it has to be a kind of post-idealistic society you have to destroy idealism and and i think on a political level you know i've always advocated for uh i guess what you could call pragmatic pragmatism like politically you have to get rid of emotion entirely it's one of the types of elements of society where it should be completely unemotional like you should completely operate on a way of like okay what's going to work the best for people and create the best results for this, for this society and culture where everybody has a good life. You know, that's what I think the underlying politics should be. And if, if, if part of your political idea is that people who don't agree with you need to go to a concentration camp, then you're not on the good side of reality. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You're operating on some type of horror, horror show, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it just baffles me. That uh, uh, actually, I I remember the quote by uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was the uh, I, I, some people quote that this is the guy who brought down the Soviet Soviet Union with his uh, uh, Gulag Archipelago book, he, who exposed the concentration camp style uh, work camp uh, system of the Soviet Union, which was horrifying in itself. And uh, he had a very like, uh, yeah, I think yes, I, I found the. God, this is this is like uh, harrowingly good, and uh, I think this should be educated to all people all over the world and in the in the school. He said, with with his own experience, of course, he said once that uh, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? This was so like a so bright thought. Yeah, you know? yeah I think I think that at dark. Too. If, we want, if we want to, if we want to encourage a a society that's actually good and is for the good of people, and and you know, like isn't isn't going to be prone to these types of totalitarian systems. I think every child needs to read, you know, Night by Eli Weisel, you know, about like the concentration camps and needs to read Gulag Archipelago as well. You know, like yeah, these two things will really tell you what totalitarianism will actually do and why, why you need to, we need to go beyond these types of ideologies that create these things. You know what I mean? Yes, and uh, like you just said, I think uh, in science and in, for example, in history, uh, it would be devoid of emotion in the sense that uh, it would be, it should be completely neutral in the sense that uh, uh, I, I tell you, it's like kind of a trap, 
and we have seen that their emotions are like uh, they they really like uh, undermine people and they they are like viruses in the sense that uh, at least i have been uh, <laughs> patting myself on the back in the sense that i have been kind of cultivating this as emotionless stance on history and all all kinds of things. For example, when it comes to money, I have always said that money doesn't give a fuck about your emotions because that's basically numbers. Money is psychopathic. It doesn't have any empathy. And if you incorporate some uh, emotions, say self-pity or whatever, then you're completely just fucked when it comes to money and power, you know. And uh, it would be good also to read uh, Machiavelli's The Prince and these kind of things with people deem a bit psychopathic in the sense that uh, they just reveal that uh, how the world sometimes works, you know, to yeah. insert a kind of uh, uh, antidote for all the people in the world who are manipulating and uh, ruthless because you will run, you will run into these people like uh, without a doubt, you know. Yeah. You should know how how the things works, and I think also people should have like uh, destructive powers unto themselves, if need be, in the sense that they wouldn't be like pushed around and manipulated all the time. I think Jordan Peterson <laughs> also said that the good Tusu people um, uh, are kind of diverse in the sense that uh, they are enabling all kinds of. Uh, like evil in the world, in the sense that uh, um, they are like uh, how the, the, the processing material for the, all the manipulative assholes in the world, in the sense that and, and the person who hasn't got any power or any like a violence in in them isn't like uh, isn't a good person in the sense that if somebody is not incapable of of like violence in the sense, but and and he I think he also said that. I, I'm getting right up here. And he said that in the Bible, uh, uh, there was this line that the meek shall inherit the earth. And I think it was some kind of uh, error in translation that the meek originally meant, the original Hebrew word, I think, meant uh, like a person who has his sword seated in the sense that he has this word and he can use it, but he decides to be calm in the conflict in the sense that and uh, not to be reactive and those kind of people will will inherit the earth and not like the people who, who subjugate and who don't have any power to do anything you know yeah no i agree and i think that um like i said if we go back to the ability to be manipulated i mean like um the people who yeah, those goody tissue people are some of the people who are most easily manipulated. And and I it's it's kind of funny to me in this at this day and age because uh it's so obvious the way that people are being manipulated. I mean, all you have to do is read um I forget it was Sigmund Freud's son, I think, right? Who who sold so many of like the kind of psychological ideas uh to Matt Madis Madison street or whatever you know like the 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 advertisers you know and basically taught them how to manipulate people better you know and you can read these books about how to basically that are step-by-step guides and how to manipulate people through advertising or or through you know news you know what i mean 
and it's like so it's just right there you you don't have to do it you can just order the book on amazon and and figure out exactly how you're being manipulated you know <laughs> yes it's 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 like a horror dose if you think about the uh, the market psychology i think the marketing psychology it is like a it's its own field for example if you go to the shopping mall and the grocery store or whatever they have this uh, certain type of music and the shelves are in certain order and uh, they block the visibility you know and you are like a, basically like a cattle who are like processed to the slaughter in the sense that uh, you are constantly bombarded by some kind of uh, manipulative uh, advertisement and that kind of stuff. And it's it, when you really, oh, I have a background in marketing and uh, in that kind of stuff. So I know how those were. I learned that in the school when I was 20 or something, you know. So it's it's so annoying to be in that kind of environment where like uh, you are blatantly manipulated. For example, uh, at the airport, everything is so much more expensive and uh, the quality is, isn't that good, of course. And uh, it, just, it just bothers me to no end that people are not cognizant of this kind of, you know, rampant manipulation. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's there all around, you know, you, getting it through your social media now because of the way that, you know, the advertising, you know, like the way that nowadays on the internet, you know, everything that you do is being like tracked so they can, you know, if, if for example, like I've been shopping around for music gear recently, and the thing that is annoying with that is that because I do that now, you know, I'm being constantly bombarded with with advertisements for for music gear on on all social media. You know, like they are they. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the point that that you know, like I'll be uh, get advertisements for the, for some things that I buy that I don't buy online that I buy at the store. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you're like, how do how are they knowing what I'm buying? You know, even if I pay a yeah. cash. You know what I mean? That that's how, like a. I also know that the the kind of. Um, there's a term for that, but I mean the very, very like uh, um, complex web of uh, like tracing cookies and whatnot. It's like uh, it's they are like uh, creating online profiles for every every Facebook user, for of course. And uh, if you go from Facebook to another website, they are like uh, like <laughs> following you. That's called tracking cookies, of course. And uh, it's it's so so like advanced that normal people don't have any fucking idea how how like manipulative that kind of thing i always find that laughable myself because i i i have also worked in the field of information technology so i know how these things work so i i pity the people who are being the cattle uh manipulated it's it's just horrific yeah. and it gets worse every every year <laughs> yeah Jesus. It's it's in, it's interesting. Like, like what is the uh, what is the the event horizon that we're going towards? You know, like what is like I don't what, want to know <laughs> what is, what is what is the ultimate outcome of of all these things that's going on? You know, and I don't, you know, part of me hopes for that is you know at least we'll uh, wait to go to the absolute worst until I'm dead. But you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't seem like uh, it's you know. That's when you start to look at the idea of the Kali Yuga and like the the you know the cycles of time that are in many cultures, not just the Hindu culture. Um, I don't know if you ever read like Mayan or Hopi mythology. Yeah, I have heard something about that. Yeah, and but, the yeah, Wolf Eight and the... 
Yeah, like like um, Hopi culture is really interesting. I have I have this book that's all about the Hopi mythology and um, and they they posit the idea of like you know cataclysms and and the world is reformed and and then you know humans keep existing and then you you know gets to this kind of point and then it gets recreated, which I mean you can see even in the Nordic cosmo cosmology of uh, you know the that that it's a cycle you know like we have yeah. like we have the you have a period and then it goes into entropy and destruction and then arises again you know and uh i definitely think we're in the entropy stage of a lot of things and um you know um you can even look at that in the sense of like the um acceleration of destruction that's going on like in terms of um humans existed for millennia you know like in one in kind of like a certain type of state and it's only been really i mean even though the industrial revolution started in the 1800s and so a lot of these technology technological changes were going on in the 1800s even up to you know the early 1900s like 100 years ago a lot of people were still living in very traditional ways that we had always lived you know yeah it's really only been in the last 100 years that the total breakdown of the way of the the natural state of humans has occurred and i think that's part of why you see this 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 um psychopathology of the human race of of not knowing how to to adapt and 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 to what we're existing in and and thus like the evolution of technology at the same time as the de-evolution of the human you know what i mean yeah, it's 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 definitely doesn't look good in the sense that uh, we are in some kind of like a nitrido phase of in alchemy, you know, and uh, I I I'm just lost for words, but because I have I haven't been thinking about the current state of the world because I have been doing my own stuff and uh, it has it has kept me insulated because I also know that we don't have too much time at our hands as humans. So I think uh, if possible, one would be very it would be a very good idea to insulate yourself as long as you as I like um, I say I'm saying like uh, as much as you can in the sense because uh, I think it's a just waste of time to delve in politics and uh, all, all these things we have been talking about. Of course, lots of the majority of the people don't have any choice in the matter and that's that's uh, like a pity. Yeah, yeah, no. But what can you do? <laughs> same thing for me. I mean, we talk, I talk about this stuff, uh, you know, but it's not something I think about too often because I yeah. do believe in this idea of like, uh, in a lot of ways, what I'm talking about is like just an explication of the importance of why it's important to to focus in on on your own spiritual growth and development and your own like um, what you can control. You know, I'm very much a believer in the idea of the anarch. You know, that Ernest Junger yeah, came up with. Yeah, that was you know? interesting concept. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very, very inspired by his idea of the forest rebel or the the particularly the anarch, you know, like of of essentially realizing that you as an individual can only do so much, but you even when you live in a totalitarian state, you can find a state of internal freedom. You know? Yes. And somebody like Ernst Junger should be seen as somebody who could live that, you know, he managed to survive through the sec you know, through the German, German. He never became a not uh, a member of the Nazi Party. He always refused because he felt like he hated the Nazis. 
but he did what he had to as far as being a, a soldier, you know, being in the, um, and he tried to do the best that he could in, in the state he was. I mean, uh, he did a lot of dangerous stuff. Like he was uh, stationed in Paris and uh, he spent most of his time hanging out with like the per Parisian intellectuals and stuff who were still there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and would try to like save certain people who, uh, who he, who he could, you know, he's, I think he saved some Jew Jewish people as well and, you know, did what he could within the system, but he, he knew how to, on the surface at least exist within the system, even while he's undermining it underneath it and existing in his own state of freedom, personal freedom. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, he was a very interesting fellow. I think he was uh, also like a friend of uh, inventor of LSD, uh, Albert Hoffman. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Junger that's, wrote a whole book. About, something. <laughs> yeah. He wrote a whole book about his uh, LSD experiences as well. Yeah. That's and, uh, that's. Yeah. yeah. He's just somebody who's after experience. You know, if you read, um, if you read Storm of Steel, his book about his World War One experiences, like he was somebody who could find beauty in the most horrific situations. You know what I mean? Like he could find this kind of beauty and transcendence, even in like something that would drive most people insane. You know, he was just somebody who was a survivor, I guess you could say, and somebody who valued experience and existence and in, in, in a really interesting way and i just think that um a lot of his ideas are very relevant to the general course of society you know what i mean i think he was a visionary he had a, like a visionary viewpoint on life yeah which is rare of course it's funny because he he apparently and somehow he managed, he wrote in his journals like but he wrote about hitler and stuff but he'd write he had like a a kind of uh um what do you call it a uh a term for hitler like i can't remember what he called him i think he called it an austrian or he had some type of name for him but he he apparently had a dream where he saw and he that's what he believed he believed that hitler was some type of uh kind of destructive like demonic force unleashed upon the west to destroy just basically to destroy everything you know what i mean so he saw he saw the Nazis and and Hitler as like a force to, to destroy the West essentially, which is kind of what he what happened, you know. And um, it's great, yeah. If you think about that, I remember, I, th I heard like after the war they wanted him to do some type of denazification thing, you know, and he refused because yeah. he was like, I was never a Nazi and I never will be, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, it was kind of funny, but yeah, I mean, so somebody like him, you know, he saw where things were going, I think, and he tried to give people as much as he could future humanity tools for you know, dealing with these types of these types of situations you know what i mean i think the concept of anarch like you just uh, discussed in the last episode we had together it's it's very um fascinating in the sense that i feel that uh, i have been doing a kind of like an anarch project with the pit for the eight years and uh, i have been basically living at the cottage at times and uh, whenever i uh, return to the city apartment it's it's i i am always filled with this kind of uh, belligerent uh, like energy that uh, i have i have like I'm annoyed to be living in the city, and uh, I get this like energy boost of of the contrast for some days, and after some few days, the energy wanes off, and I I start to feel like uh, more uh, like uh, less energetic, and uh, I feel like uh, I'm not 
no, not myself anymore. I, I kind of feel the shackles of the city like uh, closing in on me. And then after some weeks, I just have to, have to return to the cottage. And after some day, I feel like uh, I'm me again, you know. So it's it's very important to have this kind of anarch project in your life. Yeah. To rejuvenate you. Yeah. And I think it's it's also the idea that through art and through these type of things that we do, we are engaging with internal freedom. You know what I mean? Like, and, um, you know, that's, that's the importance of, of, of these ideas, like freedom of speech is incredibly important because it gives us the ability to explore these things. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I just think, um, I look at like the, the nineties is a great time of like, of, kind of the ultimate in the period of freedom of speech and where people actually kind of understood this concept and like accepted, like, you know, people were exploring like dark extreme stuff that, that, that it was this kind of uh, process of, of exploration that, that the person, you know, uh, somebody writing a novel about something truly evil probably isn't in himself truly evil, but he's exploring the evil of, you know, yeah, you know it's important. Is, yeah. And that it's important, you know, like, I always talk about I have a, a old decibel, not decibel, it's a terrorizer magazine from the 2004. That's all about black metal. And it, and it literally seems to understand black metal in this way. Like it doesn't show any type of, uh, there's no like of the kind of moral hip hop, a kind of overlay over black metal where it's like just accepting black metal as it is and saying that, yeah, black metal is just type of expiration of evil. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and like Sutter work. Shadow work, it's, yeah. It's really shadow work, and it's yeah. important because of that. I think about that, that uh, um, something like that would not not happen today because for some reason, mainstream culture has, has seemed to have forgotten something that they knew very well 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Yes, and uh, I, I have to inject in this... Uh, in in this point, uh, something I had written down, my, my Facebook friend just uh, had this... Uh, um, writing on his wall and i think this this was so great he said that the uh, tip of the day augmented reality is not for the 21st century sorry augmented reality is not a 21st century phenomenon languages have been augmenting your reality for about uh, 100 years 100,000 years already mixing truth with illusion contributing enlightenment and havoc by turns so basically, it's it's like uh, it's a, it's a good and a bad thing. Uh, language can be a circles and that can like elevate human societies and uh, uh, progress. You know, so it's like a, with the freedom of speech, we have to deal with the so-called bad stuff that people get uh, annoyed and insulted and whatever. Because the like we said, the um, another option is just another war, probably. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, we need to have these, this ability to engage with these, these forces without any filter, you know, like yes, when I create art or music or, or even with your, with your spirituality, if you're doing like some type of uh, path working or uh, ast you know, kind of astral work or you have to turn off this type of moral filter and just delve into it. You know what I mean? And, and not worry about, oh, am I going to get in trouble for what I'm experiencing here? You know what I mean? If I release this music, like, are people going to like, 
cancel me you know like you can't worry about us if you got to just like engage with the work that is given to you you know what i mean yeah i think uh, people it would be a good thing that uh, if people would uh, kind of understand for a moment that that for example history is a veritable horror song for example for starters that uh, there are no good people and uh, i think this it it came to my mind that there is this uh, i think he's a professor eugen tucker and i think he's from the states do you happen to know this guy by chance no i don't yeah he has this uh, um like a team uh, or like a thesis horror of philosophy and i think this this is a good good uh, like um, point he said he said that the that or, or his idea is that the world is not always for us it's not always about us there are aspects of the universe reality life and existence that are fundamentally indifferent to to or be beyond human comprehension these are the realms where our language knowledge and understanding break down where we confront the limits of human centric thought and uh, i'm reading verbatim Tucker proposes that horror as a gender is uniquely positioned to explore these areas. The horror gender, with its monsters, abuses, and unknowable entities, often engages with the ideas and scenarios that defy or transcend human understanding. It confronts us with the unthinkable entities, forces, or realities that we cannot fully comprehend, articulate, or domesticate within human terms. And he goes on, for instance, the concept uh, of the unthinkable is prominent in cosmic horror, a subgenre that Tucker often references. Cosmic horror, as popularized by writers like H.P. Lovecraft, often features scenarios, scenarios where humanity confronts forces or beings that are so far beyond uh, human understanding that merely perceiving them can drive a person to madness. It emphasizes the in- insignificance and impotence of humanity in the face of the vast indifferent cosmos. And let me say it, I think uh, right now what the humankind collectively needs is some kind of fucking absolutely terrifying, uh, like uh, outlandish, alien invasion to just like a, be a, like a like a collective beat slap to our uh obnoxious faces yeah <laughs> what you think yeah i think i think that very much yeah <laughs> you know and i actually when you said horror philosophy i know i've seen that book on amazon the horror philosophy but I, yeah i yeah. don't know yeah i uh yeah i mean it's actually kind of getting into the next type of things i want to talk about actually and it's like um um and again, we're also in some ways referencing the idea of the Utgard. You know, these forces are yes. the unknowable. You know, these are the the for unhuman forces. Unheimlich. Unheimlich. Think, yeah. yeah. Uh, uncanny. <laughs> yeah. They are. Yes. You know, these are the things that um, that I think are incredibly important for us to engage with because the unhuman puts us in our in perspective and puts us in our place. And also, for some of us, I think we have some of that unhuman inside of us for one way or another, you know, like we somehow can understand and connect with the inhuman or the unhuman. You know what I mean? That's like, yes. like I always feel like black metal in so many ways that its core should be unhuman to a certain degree. It's not about human emotions. You know, it's, it's about connecting with these, 
types of energies. And, um, I think that, uh, that that's that is a very important part of horror it helps us conceptualize and engage with these types of uh un, unhuman forces and and that it that's incredibly important yeah it puts us in our place and also basically shows that yeah we're not we're not the masters of reality really you know we're masters of our own our own personal reality to a certain degree but even then we're not really you know like there are these forces that are beyond what we can comprehend but there's something really important and valid and um inspiring about engaging with these types of things as well you know yeah i think uh, we need to be reminded of our ecology ecological box in the grand scheme of things in the sense i think uh, uh real numinos like extremely uh, liminar or, or numinos uh, experience kind of puts you on your knees it's kind of uh, prostates you in the sense that uh, you learn your place and uh, i think that's that's especially important like i have said many times before for the occultists and the esoterists out there because i think some people in the occult uh, scene are kind of uh, doing some kind of uh, how do you say safe space atheistic and uh, um, kind of uh, cerebral occultism in the sense that they don't directly engage with any kind of uh, like uh, real forces, if you know what I mean. And, and I know that you know that I'm, but I mean, of course. And uh, that kind of uh, breeds this kind of egoism and uh, arrogance, you know. Yeah, definitely. And <clears throat> you can always tell the people who have engaged with the real a causal uh unhuman forces and those who haven't you know by the way that they are act acting you know what i mean yes definitely because you know? yeah there's definitely a tendency within some parts of the occult world to engage in this kind of feudal like uh ego building kind of in kind of like game where they're like trying to make themselves feel like they're some types of masters of of, of reality of the world and but then on on even with that, they're failing because half of them are homeless or, you know, like addicted to drugs or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and these, these truly dark and a causal forces just like devour you. You know, they don't, if you're like that, you can't be a weak person engaging with drug addict, you know, a drug addict, like person, like overruled by your own, uh, hubris. You know, if you actually connected to these forces, it would destroy you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think liminal is inherently like uh, destabilizing force and too much liminal. I think this is not discussed enough. Too much liminal can be uh, like a very dangerous thing. But then again, uh, too little liminal is also like a very bad thing. It it like it makes you too rigid, and uh, you are like uh, like a, like a frozen popsicle or something like icicle. And you are you seem to be tough but you're easily breaking with force, you know. And yeah. I think uh, this, uh, you probably know this, uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, he has this uh, theory of uh, anti-fragile. I don't know that. Okay, he is basically, I think he has some background in Wall Street. He is some kind of uh, like uh, financial, like a genius. And uh, he he's like uh, writing books about uh, about this anti-fragility and uh, he had this concept of the black swan for example the unforeseen uh like some kind of historical event which is unforeseen and it will change the world uh like uh 
like a it's it's so rare as a like a black swan for example the 9-11 attacks were like a kind of a historical black swan event nobody predicted that and it definitely changed the world you know and uh, the same guy had this anti-fragile anti idea or concept and it goes like this basically if somebody is a fragile he is easily broken for example if you are easily insulted you're fragile and uh, if you are resistant to fragility, uh, you can withstand fragility. But if you are anti-fragile, you are becoming tougher. Like in the what Nietzsche said that uh, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So basically, the anti-fragile person is constantly being like uh, bombarded with this kind of uh, like a pressure and uh, destroying forces and uh, they just make him stronger and more resilient so basically that is a very good thing to aim for of course it's not easy but uh, you you will survive more likely if you are on anti-fragile if you get that uh, like a uh, explanation definitely yeah. and i mean that even relates to like younger and his anarch because that's kind of part of that idea is to be strong and survive even in these types of uh situations it's about it's about yeah it's kind of a survival thing of you know you're not going to be so fragile that you break all the time which i think we see in our society nowadays there's almost like this kind of fetishization of being fragile and yes having your trigger, victimhood victimhood and triggers and all this fucking bullshit you know like that just makes people weak and pathetic you know what i mean like if you're always worrying about your triggers and all this bullshit then you're just you're just like fucking, you know, creating some type of weird cocoon for yourself that you'll never escape from. You'll just be suffocated. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, I also think that uh, there's this resistance therapy. For example, if somebody would have a, like a real phobia, because this all kinds of uh, phobias, these phobias that are thrown around too easily. For example, if you have like a real medical condition of like uh, arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, they are, uh, the psychiatrists are going to use or the therapist is going to use some kind of resistance therapy where at first you will just look at the pictures of spiders and in the end you will uh, have a, like a live tarantula in your hand. You know, yeah. and uh, that's I think that's that's the right way to go because uh, like a breeding too much fragility is not good for anybody in the long run. No, yeah, you can't live like that. You can't live yeah. being afraid of of stuff and needing your quote unquote safe space and all this kind of bullshit. You know, like that's that's just gonna. How do you live like that? You know, you're always gonna be yeah. afraid of being triggered and all this nonsense, and you're gonna uh, believe that the whole world needs to bow to you. It's a kind conform. Of, yes, it's kind of an ego to uh, out of control egotism that these people have. You know what I mean? That they think that the world needs to bow to them, and I do think that it's important that. Yeah, any sane human being needs to be anti-fragile. You need to to bend and you need to to uh, to grow from from that kind of friction. You know what I mean? Yes, and I also think that uh, behind that uh, uh, safe space type of thing, that that people, some people demand them from other people too, and the control of language. I think it's 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 also has this very like. Uh, naked uh, power play politics behind that thing it's not always what what it seems but uh, i think some people are using that to just fucking be manipulate other 
people like yeah. it's it's politics it's a uh, it's the nietzschean idea of resentment as you yeah. said it's the the weak finding some type of way to to have this kind of use pity to create some type of like power you know that's yeah. kind of the modern modern uh, version of that you know what i mean I think that's 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 humans all over again, and that that's such a, another ploy. Uh, we are we are witnessing that uh, in uh, twenty years it will be something else. People have people have always been like this. If it's like uh, the victimhood thing only works uh, if you get something out of it. For example, uh, fifty years back, it would be backfire instantly to try anything like uh, related to the victimhood. And I think in 50 years, years from now, it will be the same. But uh, people are people are like that. We, we can't just... It's, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Well, I think that, that like a lot of humans were more um, connected to the unhuman in the time of like, we go back to our, our very original discussion of the night of like... Um, getting into the darkness when people were connected to the darkness and to the liminal and to the, to the Utgard in some way, when they were interacting with that daily, that some of that rubbed off on them. They were stronger. They were, they had some of the outside in them. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, I, yeah. Much of that like was, so I think when people are, are living in day to day, daily contact with, with the outside, with the, the other, with the unhuman, that is going to have an effect, even if they're not the type of person like us who goes to the unhuman purposefully, you know, but somebody who lives in that, you know, you're going to have some people who are just afraid of it, but then you're going to have other people where almost subconsciously it's rubbing off on them and they, they gain some of that power of, of that force. You know what I mean? Yes. It's a, it's what can you do? But it's, it's basically, I think uh, um, this uh, consensus reality is, is, uh, in, also in the in the field of occultism it's also like uh, um, how would you say it's it's hard to know like uh, invent like a uh, good metaphors here but i think something like uh, you have a schoolyard for example and then there are like uh, students from all walks of life and societal you know uh, ladders and then there is some kind of uh, like a rich guy who has like a rich family and he can do all kinds of sits, uh, star, uh, sit with um, impunity you know nobody could can do anything because he has this kind of power and uh, I think uh, it's it's like uh, he has a good time like torturing other people as long as nobody checks his power and then there would come uh, like a like some poor guy who has who has just fucking nothing and nothing to lose and he will just suddenly beat that rich kid's ass totally and uh, I think that would be a, like a, a awakening for that guy and I think the same is with occultism and, and the people who subscribe to the consensus reality newsletter it's it's all good and fine and fun and games until you are like uh, how, how to say invaded by the true uh liminal yeah it's, so, it's all fun and games until the until the <laughs> nightmare comes to you find yes. for real you know and then you, you get a glimpse of the horrors of, of existence <laughs> yes and i can do not do not sound uh obnoxious or too like a like a I'm not boasting here because I have gotten myself like a good uh, bitch slaps from the liminal myself. For example, I can give you one example. 
I think this was like uh, 15 years ago or something. And I had this feeling that I had reached some kind of a culmination point that uh, I can withstand anything like when it comes to the liminal and that kind of stuff. And I felt like uh, I'm at the end of my road or whatever, obnoxious. And uh, then I had uh, like a transcendental, very harrowing experience where I was uh, in that experience. I was kind of, uh, how would you say, I was bombarded by nauseous and uh, like, uh, I I think Jung warned about this kind of thing that uh, if you kind of, what is the, I don't know the English expression, but if you kind of, in, in Finland, it, it goes like this. Um, if you like um, kind of stick uh, blood out of your nose to be obnoxious, somebody will kick your ass. And I think that happened to me because I, I had always wanted like uh, some kind of like extreme noses. And then in that experience, I, I got got like a, a fragment of noses and that was almost too much because that was so much powerful, more powerful than I had ever experienced before. And then I was practically bombarded by that. And I felt like uh, my mind is going to break that it couldn't withstand that kind of uh, like a pressure. And it was like... Uh, horrifying and uh, exciting at the same time time but more like horrifying and after that experience i i was kind of humbled and then i understood that there are definitely doors that shouldn't be opened and i kind of uh, understood my place in the ecology of things and uh, i i've deemed that to be one of the most important uh, lessons in my my like uh, path in the occult yeah, I would agree with that. I think anytime you get too, too cocky, <laughs> yes, something's gonna tear you down. You it know happens. I mean? It's really important to not have that kind of like cocky attitude with with these types of forces, you know, because yeah, they're particularly when you're engaging with the kind of sinister, dark forces. They they, you know, their way of teaching can be very extreme sometimes. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes, and I think that's that's directly so important that people get this kind of uh, experiments where they're totally humbled and they're like uh, put put on their knees. I think Woven uh, uh, Hand uh, band. Uh, David Eugen Edwards, he he has this band, had this band, uh, 16 horsepower, which I think many a metalhead know about. And uh, he, I think he's kind of uh, like an old fashioned extreme Christian. I think he might belong into some kind of uh, fire and brimstone style sect. And uh, he had this one line in his old lyrics, and it, it, it was like very old testament like and it said something like uh those who don't know how to bend their knees their knees will be broken and i think that's a like a good metaphor in the sense right yeah it will happen yeah it will happen if you're too um too cocky and you don't know your place yeah. you know what i mean like uh you know you know like all these forces they don't need they don't need like some type of like you know, like where you're like crawling on your belly, like, you know, type of pathetic worship, but they need you to know your place at the same time to have to have respect for the, the these powers, you know what I mean? Like, this is something that's important is to have respect and have uh, humility and when, when engaging with, with certain types of things, you know, definitely.
like um and then if you don't you that'll happen i mean you see that with like a lot of occultists i mean i look at somebody like uh you know somebody like ea coating for example where he like built himself up so fucking dramatically like i'm just fucking god on earth you know and what happens he gets like busted by the cops you know like he could tell you you know i mean like he's just like gets knocked down you know knocked down a pig you know what i mean yeah and now it just like seems like kind of pathetic you know like so it's like you can't sit there and like be boasting about how much of a fucking god you are and you're like all this bullshit you know like because it yeah the cosmos will eventually kind of tear you down you know what i mean <laughs> somebody would eventually like uh, take you out but I, I think a good like a uh, point of discussions would be that uh, we could probably share that uh, how then uh, people can experience this kind of uh, like the extreme nominos or the liminal because uh, I think uh, if people don't have prior experience with this kind of thing, the, what we are speaking about might sound somewhat outlandish or bizarre in the sense that uh, if somebody has been in the safe space, occultism or the uh, consensus reality, everything we have spoken about sounds sounds probably a bit crazy. Uh, what would be your own take? How a person would uh, encounter the extreme uh, liminal or nominos? I think uh, I think first of all, you need to have an openness to to the dark, you know, to to the Utgard, to the outside, you know, to the to the unhuman, and and then you know you need to do some type of working to engage with these forces, you know, um, and you know, like um, this can take different 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 pathways part of what helped me connect with these forces was there's this book called nocturnicon by constantinos which ironically oh. was released by ledlin but he project po posits this type of working style which i still do to this day which is the magic basically a magic engaging with the void and the abyss forces and part of that is to the big, even the opening type of thing to to kind of empower yourself is to lay in total darkness, you know, uh, preferably like somewhere outside, or you could even do this in a haunted place or a place of power in nature, or even in your own house. You know, but you have to be in total darkness, like absolute darkness, where you can't see pretty much anything, and you look up into the into the the dark above you. And then you start opening yourself up and you he presents this kind of um working in which you imagine that you're actually like going you're actually like um all of a sudden like you're like going down into like a grave and you can like imagine like the smell of the earth and like you're in this grave right that's why it's good to do it outside like on on earth and then yeah. as you're looking up all of a sudden you're seeing like these swirling like forces of darkness and then they enter into you you breathe them in like you do like these breathing technique and you actually inhale this dark force of the night and the void you know and bring it into your body and and part of the whole part of this is to basically trigger in yourself a little bit of that fear as well you know to have yeah. to really put yourself Sacred in this mindset, <laughs> yeah. To put yourself in this mindset that you are in a grave and you're inhaling this void energy, and it's going, you know, and it it really, it's one of the most effective ways I've found to 
basically tap into your astral level as well. Like, cause as you start inhaling this void energy and he, he describes it as you inhale it and you feel it filling your body, you know, and you're kind of getting rid of the mundane and your energy and you're filling your whole body with this void energy. And, and eventually it, as it covers your head, you, you feel like you're like kind of inhaling like some type of ether or something. And it really does have this effect. Like you feel it and you can feel like this vibrating. Like you can feel like you're, your astral body vibrating outside of your yourself and the stuff. And then he's, then he, then his working is just once this is done and you feel this feeling and you feel it as a kind of fear or taking hold a little bit of sacred fear, then you get up and you cross like a circle of a void circle, which basically you're, you're, you're positing yourself as in a nowhere space. You know, you're, you're in, in the, the space of the void and, and you do like a circle which doesn't matter if it's northeast. That doesn't matter. You just cast like a circle where you're kind of building this void bubble around yourself, essentially, you know. And when you put yourself in this place, then suddenly you are really connecting with these acausal unhuman forces. I mean, the whole point of it is to do that, to be in the center of magic. Because to me, all magic comes from the void, you know, and from the abyss. And so you're you're basically bringing these energies in yourself and you're in this state and when you do this type of working, you're literally putting yourself right there next to all these forces. And and if you do working like this in a particularly a place that really helps to increase the energy of it, like to increase the fear, to increase that sacred horror, then you'll have even better working. And you will, I can promise you, have an effect from it because it has a real effect on the on like like you will suddenly be very much in direct contact with these types of unhuman forces, you know, and, and has an effect upon you, like in a lot of ways, you know, I found that after I started doing that working, you know, as a teenager, that all of a sudden my like night vision got better, you know, like there was actual like weird, like uh, physical effects that started happening. You know what I mean? Yes, I can relate to that. Uh, uh, I think uh, to add to what you just said, which was, it was great. Um, I think the aspect of liminal space is very important in the sense that uh, uh, you are divorced from the uh, consensus reality. And for example, uh, other people are kind of uh, magnets or like uh, um, amplifiers of consensus, consensus reality. And uh, if you remove, remove these, uh, you really get into different headspace. And I think, uh, like Richard Gavin has said many times, uh, the sacred horror aspect is very, very important in the sense that uh, it kind of... Uh, I think that's the uh, element of the divorcement from uh, the consensus reality itself. And uh, how it, it's it's so much uh, stronger and ho- when it's... Uh, for example, uh, if you are in some kind of environment uh, which is which has some kind of danger, it's amplifying the humbling aspect, and then that's kind of like an antidote for the virus of uh, consensus reality, the insulated safe space reality. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think that sacred fear is marking the moment when you're breaking away from consensus reality and you're going into true the the real. You know, you're going. Yes. And. I would posit that the real is this this void state. It's this world, this this unhuman world is actual the real, you know. And um, 
And that's, that's when you really can engage with the real and start to engage with these forces that are around us all the time that our material body, our material eyes can't necessarily see, but our body senses and feels and, it, and it, um, you know, it communicates to us through the subconscious, through the unconscious, through, through those, those things. That's how you see these visions of things. That's how you, they communicate with you and how you perceived all those things. So it's like, you know, I find that, that, yeah, you know, like I said, for me, like if somebody wants a very practical way of doing that, that's what I would recommend is the technique that, that was in that book from Constantinos. Cause it's something that I, I do to this day, you know, it's part of, part of what I, what I do. I know that, um, uh, everybody has different ways of doing this. Like, um, I remember talking to, to Nas, you know, um, on that first conversation we had on, on the podcast and he described that he, his temple is kind of like a, a closet basically. And he puts himself yes. in total darkness, you know, and that does a similar type of type of type of experience. You know, I think you just, you really need to connect with the darkness, with the void, with the abyss and bring that into yourself. So it can start to transform you and where it transforms you, then you become closer to these liminal things. And yeah, I mean, and you know, the outright type of ritual aspect of it can be different for different people. I mean, I know that Richard Gavin always recommends that people just go to some type of, you know, a haunted place, a place a place in the woods that feels eerie, something like this, to kind of help awaken that, you know. And and that if if you know if somebody's not ready to necessarily do a magical work but it wants to start to awaken to this reality that's what i would recommend you know and go out in the middle of the night to an abandoned place or to a eerie play spot in the woods or a haunted place or you know something like this and 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 that in of itself will help awaken you to to this this other state of existence and it kind of makes sense within like say the cliffodic system if somebody's using cliffodic system the the gateway to the cliff off is through um you know Lil, lilith has or nama's dominion over the the uh the mat a matter of malkuth so the idea is that you need to find the cave of lilith which can exist in any place but it's a place that basically opens you up to the to the liminal to the to the other side you know so i think that's that's important because you can even see that with you know um people who go to haunted house haunted places and and engage with you know paranormal stuff like even in those people even if they're not specifically occultists or all this stuff they generally do tend to gain a sensitivity to those forces on the other side because they're constantly putting themselves in these types of liminal liminal haunted places you know what i mean yeah like it's affecting affecting them it's yeah. kind of a like uh, honing their senses or a kind of uh, tuning thing to the liminal. Uh, it, this all brings to my mind um, something uh, like a kind of a phenomenon which I have experienced time and time again at, and at the pit. For example, um, our plot um, the, where the cottage is situated is around uh, 170 meters long, but it's 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 kind of it's not as broad at the at the end points so so basically uh, we have a, lots of uh, like uh, roaming grounds at the uh, at the plot 
and uh, the <laughs> pit is uh, taking at least i think one of one fourth of the whole plot now and it's constantly growing and uh, it's kind of situated in a catabasis in the sense that uh, it's uh, the, the terrain is sloping down to the pit so it's it's like a real catabasis in the sense and it's also completely dark because there are no artificial lights over there so even you embark to uh, to the path to the pit yeah, it's it's like it's just like an ocean of darkness and i have a like a pretty good uh, uh, strong uh, led uh, headlamp on and uh, sometimes i use the full light and sometimes i use only like a slight light and it's always like an experience to walk there and see all the artifacts the wood and uh, the stones they look so outlandish in the terrain in the sense that uh, uh, you wouldn't think that you would uh, see it such a like a magical structures and uh, like atavistic uh, even like um how would you say um things that evoke this sense of sacred horror and when you go uh, like um further and further to the pit you eventually see to your left when you cross the gate uh you you see like uh, the grove where, where i have this like a large altar and uh, it it must be the most uh harrowing place of the all because i would imagine that if there would be some passerby or some kind of uh um like uh some like a uh, random people who would just uh eventually um walk to the pit without knowing what's in in there i think they would practically like sit their pants because uh, even to me because i am the almost the sole creator of the pit myself i i myself feel the strange like uh almost dangerous luminous energy in the sense that uh, if i don't have any good business to go to the grove or the various altars i won't because it would be like a, like a sacrilege if you know what i mean and uh it's it's just so exhilarating to go there and uh, kind of uh, be reminded that there is this another liminal world like uh, right like uh, uh 100 meters like below th- where there are these other cottages and uh, like a semblance of civilization civilization you know right yeah and you've created you've created a essentially a nexion to these to these numinous say causal forces you know and by yes. creating this this space and creating this these these altars and and this the grove and i mean you're literally presencing these forces into reality i do believe that that people awaken the you know find these places of power in the woods and awaken the dragon energy there you awaken the, the liminal forces there like that presences and i do think that is one way to have an effect esoterically upon the world as a whole because i think if more people kind of presences and awaken these nexions so these eight causal forces can enter into our reality i do believe that will shift reality you know what i mean yes and i also think that uh, there needs to be some kind of like a shock factor in the sense that uh, the shock factor and the, at the pit is kind of the outlandish nature it's like uh, at times i when i look at the various altars and uh, because i they are so like uh, big 
in the sense that uh, you cannot just dismiss them, you know. And uh, sometimes I feel like I have wandered in some kind of like a weird uh, horror movie, like a backdrop in some kind of studio. They are so out of place. And uh, I think uh, that's directly the thing which kind of keeps the checks and balances. And uh, that's how, because the sacred horror is so important, you know, yeah. the shock to the system, like a, a bit slap to your uh, consensus reality face. <laughs> yeah, I think what's, what's kind of cool about all that too, is something that has always been important to me is like part of the, part of the, the process is to direct going to the forces, you know? And so in a lot of ways, you're kind of replicating what ancient humanity did. They went to these forces yeah. or these forces presented themselves to them. And then they created these, these altars and these, these sacred spaces, you know, out of the materials of the earth. And, and so in so many ways, you're, you're kind of going back to this atavistic state of uh, human existence, which I think more people need to do. Um, don't don't rely too much on books, you know. I mean, yes. I love my occult books, you know, and I love to read them because sometimes they bring new ideas or they will validate certain types of gnosis I've I've been given. Um, but I I don't I believe that it's really important to not rely on the books and to instead uh, rely on direct direct working and direct gnosis with these forces, and then the the books and things will just act as kind of like a like I said, almost like a um, a validation to, to a lot of, sometimes to your gnosis, because then you'll see that oh, this other person that I don't know across the world has somehow managed to achieve a similar type of gnosis that I have. You know, so kind of validates what you're learning. You know what I mean? Yes, and I also would add that uh, I think we need as an occultist. Uh, this is not, of course, for everyone, but I'm speaking of our behalf, I think. Uh, I, I think we should return to this shamanistic animism. And uh, that I think that's directly what I have done at the pit. And it has uh, happened like uh, progressively. For example, uh, say like uh, five years ago, the pit didn't have this character of, of its own. I think it didn't have its own diamond back then. But now it's it's so evident that it 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 at times it it even scares myself, which is of course a good thing because that's like I have succeeded in creating something which kind of is in direct opposition uh, to my like uh, civilized uh, modern Western type of uh, persona, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you've awakened the uh, genus loci there, and yeah, and and even probably brought something in from the outside that's taken up re residence there, you know? It is definitely, I think uh, the, sometimes the genius loci, uh, the spirit of the place, has this almost like an alien character, which is in direct opposition in the sense that uh, I think some people might uh, anthropomorphize uh, the genius loci, that it's they they might think it's kind of your friend or some kind of fucking hobgoblin or whatever. I think uh, it it will always really have this like uh, alien, non-human. Uh, maybe you you call this a causal side, and I think that's important. I think that's in the root of uh, of the ancient uh, religious uh, feelings and uh, experiences of people. The mysterium tremendum. The yeah. fully utter, like Rudolf Otto said. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something people forget about nature and itself. Nature is unhuman. Yes. Nature is not a human space. When you go into nature, you're engaging in the genus loci and these are unhuman forces from the other side, you know, like, and, and, um, yeah, there's something that I always like, like, you know, like in black metal nowadays, there's like this kind of nature black metal thing. And I was kind of like, when I was a teenager, I was really into that kind of concept in a, in a different way where it was like dark and connecting to these like feral, like unhuman forces. I feel like, I feel like if you're going to do nature, black metal has to be dark and engaging with these types of, these types of forces. And I get real annoyed with a lot of the so-called nature black metal that exists nowadays. It's just kind of like, romanticize romanticization of nature and all this kind of bullshit you know what i mean yeah it's just like that's not really black metal because black metal needs to be evil so if you're making something facing it's around nature you have to have this kind of darkness to it this type of uh unhumanity to it you know what i mean because nature is unhuman you know yeah the horror of nature nature can be like the it can produce the most beautiful things but then there is also ebola and <laughs> they're like a terrifying diseases and uh, beasts and uh, fucking parasites whatever you know it's it's like abraxas it's evil and good at the same uh, time you know like a radical junction exactly yeah and i think i think yeah if you go to nature you and you exists close to nature you realize that and then you also realize that even in the city there's nature because the city can be those things as well you know like but um when you go to nature direct you're i think you're much and you're also much more connected to the these these forces from beyond because it's just easier for them to come forth um in a place that's like you know doesn't have all this type of uh distractions you know what i mean yeah i think maybe all in all uh to summarize in a nutshell, uh, this uh, consensus reality is just uh, like a human-created illusion enforced by technology and uh, structure. For example, the cities—it's it's like a—it's like a go- its like a golden gate for some um, canary bird or whatever. You know, it's—it's yeah. it's still a fucking gate, yeah. and you're still imprisoned. Exactly. You know, it's sad, and I think that. That if you're an occultist involved with these things in uh, in a city, the part of what you need to do is to to presence these forces even in the city. You know what I mean? To go into these yeah. these types of places and and that will even in the city you can break down this consensus reality. I believe you know. Yeah, like uh, to to have this. Uh, what I just talked about reminders. Of the liminal that it's 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 it is there, and I think uh, uh, when uh, people ha- uh, have uh, tragedies, for example, close uh, relatives die and whatever, they are like momentarily at least like a strip down of the uh, safe space reality, and they are confronted with some kind of like a, a, like a abrupt chaos, like a cold. Uh, uh, like uh, ocean or something. It's 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 terrifying to people. For example, I think it was Peterson who said that uh, if you have a, like a pet dog and it's your cherished uh, like a pet, and uh, some for some odd reason, say rabies or whatever, it goes completely boinkers and just fucking bites you in the face. That would be a like ontological shock. And uh, for example. Uh, if if the if your doctor says that you have a, suddenly it says that uh, 
during the normal health check that you have uh, 30 days to live or whatever type of thing, it will break down your reality period, you know. Yeah. And uh, I think it, it would be a, like an anti-fragile thing to do to ponder these kind of uh, weird things like uh, from day-to-day basis, if you can, because then, then you are probably better, like um, I would say, uh, prepared for that kind of thing. For example, I can give you a, like a recent example. Uh, I was in a situation with was like a, at, at, at some apartment in, uh, it was completely normal, like a day-to-day setting and then uh within some 15 to 20 uh minutes uh i had to i had to call an ambulance or another person called the ambulance i was supervising the, the person who needed the aid of the ambulance and it looked for a moment that there might be a like heart attack and it would be it, like a like a fatal thing and uh it involved my close relatives and uh i remained um how would you say um calm during the whole episode uh, because i have experience with this kind of like a sudden liminal things and uh, after i returned to the cottage and and it, it, everything went well uh, luckily it it wasn't a heart attack but but it looked like that and uh, i went to the cottage and uh, i felt like uh, i had this sudden burst of energy and it it wasn't like a normal shock of adrenaline where you are like uh, trembling a bit and you cannot think straight it was more like a cold blooded and it was more determined and i was like in some kind of uh, how would they call it? like a state state of uh, if you have like if you have this curfew like outside what's it, what it's called it's called a state of um i'm not sure yeah like a, you have like martial law you know that kind of thing right yeah yeah so so i was in in that kind of thing that uh, i had this like a sudden burst of energy but it was very very controlled and uh uh, I couldn't get sleep until like a three o'clock, but it wasn't because of some sudden trauma. It was just kind of uh, it woke up some kind of uh, like a midnight oil in me, and uh, I was like prepared for more um, this kind of uh, weird uh, liminal things. And uh, after I think I got like a weird uh, boost for like a week or two after that. And uh, only after like three weeks, I started to get the kind of the emotional uh, weight of that thing, you know. And but but it didn't happen at the time, which I think was quite interesting because I think for some people, if they encounter this kind of sudden, you know, very drastic, like a very potentially fatal situation, they will be like shocked to the core and unable to respond and do anything and uh, i think <laughs> i have such a weird uh, brain chemistry that uh, whenever these kind of things happen to me uh, i don't feel any effects at the moment perhaps but after like uh, some three weeks or so i start to get this uh, like a slowed down uh, like a hibernated type of uh, aftershocks and uh, suddenly i feel like uh, and what the hell is happening? I feel like uh, stressed out and uh, something is wrong. And uh, it it might take uh, like a, a week for to just uh, kind of process that thing out. But I think uh, that is a symptom or benefit of being anti-fragile, 
if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I have the same same thing yeah. when exactly like like when certain types of things happen, most people would freak out, and I get very calm and just kind of like you know deal with it and then i'll feel like it's kind of weird boost of energy for a while and then eventually it'll kind of wear off and you'll start to actually have to like process process process, <laughs> process what happened yeah but but in some ways yeah yeah just always like i always felt like if i was in you know if we had a zombie apocalypse i would probably go into all right let's fix this let's you know let's do what we need to do survival mode and that it would be like a while before it would actually like you know really fully like hit you like what's going on you know what i mean yes yes i, I have lots of experiences with this kind of thing and uh over the years and i think i think this kind of thing actually is a kind of uh, like a functional trauma in the sense that uh, our ancestors were like full of uh, functional trauma in the sense that uh, of the needs is uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger type of thing and uh, I think uh, trauma is good if you can process it and kind of uh, alchemically uh, made it into uh, philosopher's stone. But uh, for some people, unfortunately, it will just be damaging to no end and without repair. But uh, I think it just depends on person and uh, brain chemistry and uh, genetics and uh, maybe also like a training. Yeah. yeah, I do think there might be a certain level of genetic... Um... Because because it is shown that that uh, that in our gene- you know in the junk DNA it is all like we literally store all our ancestral memories you know atavisms yeah. yes yeah like so 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 many like a lot of things that our ancestors experienced get encoded in our DNA and 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 then you know are you know there you know we have we have connected I think it's important to connect to that that's why one aspect of kind of ancient ancestral worship is important stuff like that but um because you're connecting with these forces within us that help us but i do think that for some people probably our ancestors you know i had to engage with i mean if you really think particularly say like uh like certain parts of our ancestors i mean they 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 were engaging with very harsh conditions particularly if you look at finnish called finnish people i mean they were had to engage a very harsh environment you know what i mean and like a lot of a lot of stress and stuff and that probably does help make um you know people uh, genetically much stronger in a lot of ways you know what i mean i think so it's like um it i i think uh, we wouldn't be here speaking about this without our uh, hardy ancestors because they they really had it rough back in the day we have it quite easy even you compare the life of like uh, like 200 years ago or something so we should really revered our ancestors in the sense that uh, we are the product of of their uh, resilience in the sense yeah exactly yeah and we're we're here existing and um you know for as long as we need to <laughs> yeah actually one interesting thing so i don't uh, forget about this because i it was my intention to speak about this uh, weird experience uh, I had uh, just yesterday night uh, in the beginning of this interview uh, or or discussion, uh, I happened to have uh, like uh, for the audience, I'm speaking to the audience, you already know about this, but uh, basically uh, last night I fell asleep on a jogic uh, pin mattress, the type of thing. the modern version of the pin cousin, uh, the uh, ancient, 
like uh, sadhus just in India. Uh, so basically, I, I was like uh, I fell asleep on on the pin mattress, and I was listening to our second podcast discussion. And at some point, I succumbed into a sleep paralysis and uh, had a strange dream where I had dozed off during this very recording session, this we are doing right now. And uh, in that dream, uh, the house where I had my studio was basked in some weird liminal light. It was basically wholly dark, but I could see as if it was illuminated by a like, faint moonlight. And it was quite surreal. And uh, I had just woken up um, in that dream. And uh, I saw that uh, in in the Zoom window, which we are, uh, Zoom meeting window, we are just recording right now. Uh, I, I saw that you had um, sent me a message because I had disappeared from the uh, recording because I had dozed off. And it said, the ominous message said uh, nothing personal, which might might deem uh, somewhat passive aggressive. And I was like, "What the fuck is Carl saying?" <laughs> and I I was like a bit ashamed because I had fell well asleep during an, an interview, which is which has never happened in real <laughs> life. And uh, then in the dream, I tried to get back online, but my limbs didn't work because I was actually having a real uh, sleep paralysis. Beyond the on the pin um, mattress, and um, it it was so so interesting that uh, uh, whereas uh, I I saw that you were like uh, manipulating like multitude of windows and doing doing, doing some weird shit at at your end, and uh, you didn't properly know that I was seeing that uh, I I saw your screen in the Colorado, and uh, I I was trying to like uh, wake up and. Uh, somewhat get my bearings in this weird liminal uh, sleep paralysis nightmare state. And then I actually woke up in real life and the playback of our last discussion was still playing on my noise-canceling uh, wireless headphones. And uh, I finally managed to sit up and uh, I just wanted to send you a, like a, like a, or at least a, write the draft of this uh, sleepers experience in order to tell about it to you in the morning and so i wrote sleep uh, i i wrote nothing personal in the facebook messenger chat and i i accidentally pressed uh, send and then you you happened to be online in real life and you asked what do you mean nothing personal <laughs> <laughs> and then i was so bleary eyed and still probably in a in a, like a, uh, wake of the sleep paralysis state, and I was in the complete darkness, trying to uh, trying to write you without my eyeglasses and uh, about this thing. And I probably sounded like uh, I was in a bout of some like a uh, fucking psychosis because <laughs> it must have sounded so fucking weird. And luckily, you got the hang of, of what I was experiencing at the moment. And uh, I at, at three a.m. Uh, last. Um, night uh, i had this idea that i have to share that with our listeners that i we had this weird uh, like uh, interconnected uh, like uh, experience last night with sleep paralysis and this uh, this recording session yeah. so i think that's a good example that uh, uh, even as uh, like an experience and say that the occultist like me can be overwhelmed by this kind of uh, weird uh, self-induced uh, sleep paralysis uh, incident. Yeah, 
and something kind of yeah something kind of the weird the, the <laughs> uncanny kind of all of a sudden like coming through yeah yeah and i i kind of took it that i felt like that that to me it almost seemed like because he kind of fell asleep listening to it he fell into this kind of liminal state that you're actually connecting with sort of something that we were discussing that um was actually connecting to some type of force that came through you know what i mean and, and affected you you know what i mean Yes, like a continuum, because it was so like a nightmarish in the sense that uh, when you're in the sleep paralysis, you cannot move any limb, and uh, it's almost psychedelic, that state, and uh, it was like uh, my own voice was discussing with your voice, but uh, because of the noise-canceling headphones, um, I, I couldn't take them off from my head and it was like a, <laughs> it, it was like a loop you know <laughs> yeah. and it i was like brain vassing my own brain with my own uh like a discussion with you about two months ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, that's what's weird, weird about listening to to your own things that you record you know what i mean like in certain situations it can be very like uncanny you know yes because you're like all of a sudden you're like revisiting like something that happened and yeah it just it can probably like kind of throw throw you off sometimes <laughs> yes and uh, now that we have uh, this trilogy of discussions because this is the third discussion and we have covered like a multitude of topics and uh, i think of course there are still so much more to cover but i think uh uh the extended play of our like uh, collected uh, hours must be around six or seven or almost eight hours of uh, of discussion with this uh, third episode i think we have clocked uh, around uh, three hours now yeah just yeah this would be the i think this might be the longest but i don't remember yeah i think this might be the longest one so yet but the um hopefully people get something out of it and yeah. um you know like uh sure they will and then i obviously will will be continuing on and doing more because you know I, I feel like i feel like our conversations are very very fertile and have like a lot of wisdom and there's always like i always feel like like we haven't quite tapped everything we could talk about you know what i mean yes i think um um the co-founder of uh, the gate just um, said today that uh, this is like a part of um kind of uh, finnish american uh, kind of cooperations in the sense that uh, 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 I'm connecting to your audience and uh, you're connecting to my audience in the sense that uh, I'm going to share these uh, episodes on my own podcast, Mycelium Signal, in the future. So it's basically much-needed international, like a ktonic continuum network. That's the nickname I have called this uh, thing, uh, which is like a uh, comprised of, for example, you and me and uh, Nas Alkamet, Ricard Gavin, and uh, who else? Uh, I think uh, Frater Acker from Germany mm. is at the same field which mm. we are discussing. I don't know the person him personally, but I'm going to contact him in near future. Yeah, that'd be cool. And of course, you have Martin Locker, who I think is kind of one. Yes, of course, yeah. Martin. And then, yeah, I, yeah, you should definitely contact Frater Acker and see if you can get him on the podcast. I think that would be really uh, an interesting conversation you know yes i, I think i have um, uh, i have lots of interesting guests from finland who are right our ilk you know and uh, there are probably more in uh, all over the abroad because i i think uh, 
uh, there became became like uh, around a year or a year and a half ago the point that uh, before that in the gate our collective we only had like a Finnish audience and uh, Finnish language material we just understood that we need to broaden up to international audience because we discovered that there are uh, other people as well like uh, uh, in the tonic continuum yeah abroad one, no. thing, one thing that I've learned with doing a podcast and doing stuff is that once once you start putting yourself out there, all of a sudden you start to attract the right people in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, people you'll find, you know, just like how we connected, you know, like it's that kind of, it's a very, uh, it's a very powerful thing, which I, which I really appreciate, you know. Yes, I think uh, we need to thank uh, Richard Gavin again because I think uh, he is a kind of a nexus in the sense that uh, because of him, uh, uh, or at least uh, actually because of Nas who recommend uh, Richard Gavin uh, like uh, three years ago in some um, uh, Bardo Metallurgy magazine, which I happened to read, I discovered Richard Gavin and then I understood that all the most important people to me and the gate uh, have some relation to Richard Gavin. So he's kind of uh, like a benchmark of this tonic current in the sense that if somebody is has been into Richard Gavin's work, uh, I would uh, assess that uh, they are like uh, in the right path and they are like a uh, part of the tonic continuum. Yeah. I, that makes sense. I would agree with that too. If somebody's into to to his work, then they're kind of on that that page. Um, yeah, I guess we'll probably close out since it is like been three hours. So yeah, <laughs> it's a, quite sure, a marathon. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, I know it's kind of late there. So, but yeah, I mean it's great talking, and uh, we'll do another one. You know, here in a few yes. in a little bit, and this one's gonna be coming out on uh, on I think on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve forget which nice so which i feel like is appropriate because you know back in the day this was a very liminal christmas was a liminal time it was a time people connected to the ghosts and to to this type of this type of stuff you know like i mean that so i feel like it's a very appropriate type of uh conversation to come out in that time period you know what i mean definitely like before the new year yeah and we'll we'll be getting like once we get into new year we'll, we'll do number four some Yes, and uh, I could uh, quote uh, Richard Gavin himself uh, to close this uh, discussion. This might be a new concept to some people. Uh, he once said, I think uh, this might be from the, his second book, uh, what was it called? Uh, Infernal Mask. Yes, uh, he, he said, The Eidolon is an image of self, but a more primal self than the ego could ever concoct. Uh, it can be considered a daimonic self, and thus it possesses the capacity to engage with the daimonic reality. I think this was really fascinating. I just discovered this quote uh, like a couple of days ago. Yeah. yeah. We can I, discuss I, this further in the next installment. Yeah, I think that's a great, great... Yeah, I do think the next next installment we should just really start getting into that kind of daimonic reality aspect of everything and and the Eidolon and those types of ideas, I think are very important for the development, you know what I mean? Of, of what, what's opening up, like the kind of, I was, once you've disconnected from the kind of, um, you know, consensus reality and you're engaging with these numinous, you know, 
a causal anti-human for or unhuman forces you know now the next step is the integration of this stuff and the creation of the realization of the idol and as he says you know i think this is a like a very natural progression from the first episode to the third episode which is right now and uh, yes i i agree i think we should go there next definitely that'll be the the, <clears throat> the next stage so but yeah thank you Constantine and uh yeah we'll be in communication as well so yeah thank you too and have a good night you too